But yeah. I remember sticking nuggets on a fork with my left arm that yeah. kind of worked yeah. and wedging them in the table and leaning over the table to eat them because you wouldn't help because you thought that shit was so fucking funny. Yeah, it's, it's funny looking back the things that, uh, that you find amusing, I guess. It is. But. Again, I think about what the fuck do I want to be when I grow up? I'm 53. I don't think I've done a ton of shit. But then we sit and talk. And I go, I've done that, that a bit of shit. I sleep in my truck every night. And I like it. Participating in society in that particular vein, I don't have any desire to do it at all. I need all, no, no, you need food, air, and water. You want every other fucking thing in your life, and that's a choice. And then, then again, the reminder that I was an average yeah. fucking team guy <laughs> athlete. Like, it's fucking you crazy. Like throw that in there. I do. Yeah. I do. I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm yeah. proud of my average. Yeah. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. And it was and it was done and it was correct. Yeah. And so I wore that fucking hat the rest of the time we were, we yeah. worked together. Yeah, I mean even in Iraq I remember. Yeah. yeah. I mean I've got pictures of us fucking standing there you wearing that goddamn hat. Mattis actually asked him about it. Oh, when really? we were doing that nav plan out of Iraq. Like, hey, what the fuck's the deal with your guy not being Vans? Like, he's my guy. Don't fucking worry about him. Yeah. Like, and, and he did to his credit. He's like, I told you yeah. all the way. I don't give a shit. And he did. Yeah. So God, that's awesome. <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah. Wild yeah. shit. Um, our time in Iraq, does any, uh, any story stand out as, as being memorable? Uh, or I guess just any, any other time that we spent, whether it's the cold, the fucking Iraq deployment. The, uh, Van trying to volunteer us to go to that fucking little bridge on the north side, on the on outside of the green zone when we'd first gotten up there. So, you know, we drove, putting together four unarmored Humvees with a trailer full of explosives yeah. to drive in the country, what, a week behind the main force? Yeah. Was interesting. That, yeah. I, that was just... There's something about that that was very uh, hippie. Yeah. Like, we're just following the dead, man. Yeah. It's just a group well, of it, I mean, it's almost like... You think of it, even even a few years after that, it was unthinkable to do. I know, you know the kind of the way that we ragtagged it yeah. together. It was very almost like Band of Brothers, mm-hmm. where it was just, it was totally fucking yeah. uncharted territory. Hey, like, you're gonna go there, make your way there, yeah. make it happen. Yeah, because I mean, it, it is an inter- it was an interesting time to to be able to be there right. uh, at the start of it, where there was still front lines there was progress yeah. there was ground that had been like taken, the old you know. west idea like yeah. yeah we're discovering it as we go yeah and and you know once that was done for the next fucking decade that there was no more of that and it, and it was just day after day of dreary bullshit yeah yeah um so yeah driving up there and then him wanting to volunteer us for that initial when we first got in and 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 me and clint like hey no. Yeah. Because I, I, I'd done them. I, I'd already done the map studies. I knew where we were trying to go. I knew where the Marines were trying to go because they were still trying to lock down Baghdad, looking to go to his hometown up to Tikrit where we ended up. And uh, they wanted us as fucking 16 guys in unarmored vehicles to go secure a bridge across the river. And I'm like, no. Yeah. Just, just no. Yeah. I, I won't go do that because that's a suicide mission for us. It's just fucking dumb. And there was a lot of dissension on that particular decision. And interestingly, fast forward 
four days. They sent part of a Marine division up there, an armored Marine division, and they were in like a 47-minute gunfight. Yeah. That the only reason they managed to take the bridge was with A-10 support. Yeah. And like, they were all in APCs. And they, and they were in APCs. I mean, there was pictures of fucking, you know, 19-year-old Marines fucking knee-deep in 50 cal brass yeah. just trying to not die. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, we, yeah, we'd have been fucking solid going on that one. Yeah. Good call. None of us would have come home. Yeah. It is interesting, the, the disparity, especially looking back on it now. I mean, I, I was fucking 20, 22, um, right. you know, but really not even having a, a grasp of what the fuck we were doing. I mean, really, like in the, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. like looking back at it now, is like I had no fucking idea what we were doing, what I was doing. I, I, I don't think that I did either. I don't know. It probably push come to shove. Nobody did because we hadn't been in combat for fucking 30 years. Yeah. I just mean, you know, even geopolitically, like the things that I pay attention to now versus back then right. are, are starkly different. But I know for me, and, and I've heard this said on your podcast and on news interviews forever, and, and that's what it was for me. It didn't have a fucking thing to do with the grand picture this is a group of guys I came over here with. Yeah. This is a group of guys I'm going home with. Yeah. That was always foremost in my, in my position in the platoon. That was yeah. always foremost for me. Yeah. I don't give a fuck what you think we should do. If it looks to me like it's going to kill half of my guys. I, okay. Maybe I'm not in charge, but trust me, they're going to follow me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think, I guess my point in, in what I was starting to bring up is that I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that. Yeah, you, probably. You know, that, that it's like there are instances where, where that happens. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say it's often. I would say most, especially nowadays, most platoons, most command structures military-wide, there's very few uh, instances where the guys will be like, we're not fucking doing that. Right. We're doing this instead. Or, or, or that, you know, either have the ability or even the, we'll the call stones. it the, the balls to, yep. to fucking say, no, that's fucking dumb. I, I think it's I think it's to our detriment as a society that indoctrinating structured rules and it, it, I mean I, I grew up with you know respect your elders, but even that at the way I was raised was to a point. Yeah. Because just because you're older doesn't mean you're good. Yeah. Just because you're in the military doesn't mean you're honorable. Yeah. You know, it, just because you're whatever doesn't mean you're the other thing that everybody seems to. Um, meme their way through life. Yeah. You know, well, it doesn't this mean you means, get a free pass yeah, no matter what. This means that, and it's not absolutely true. And I grew up in an era, the Vietnam, post-Vietnam era, where guys are like, shit's fucking stupid, and you need to call stupid stupid when it's stupid, or the snowball effect of that is detrimental to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, to me, it, it was a neat, neat thing to be a part of where, you know, if you look at say the very first thing that we did, you know, the, the go plat, right. which, you know, there was some pretty hairy intelligence that shit yeah. was going to go fucking sideways and we did it anyway. Right. You know, um, I think at, at the, at the height of the Intel looking the worst, it was, you know, there's over a hundred yeah. enemy combatants on board. All of them are armed. The pipes are fucking yeah, they'd rigged watched with explosives. Them. SDV like, had watched them offload yeah. workers and onload military and Yeah, there's a fuck ton of Republican and, guard, mm -hmm. guard guys. The pipes are, are yep. laden with explosives ready to blow as soon as we get on board and we went and did it anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, but and then fast forward to, you know, later on in that deployment of, of kind of getting into the groove of taking intelligence, knowing what our capabilities are, knowing kind of what and the being intelligent can. about yeah. how we apply our skill set. Yeah. yeah. And say like, Hey, you know, 
we're willing to go do dangerous shit, but yeah. shit that makes sense that's worth doing. Yeah, don't like, think for a second we're afraid to engage, but yeah. we're not stupid about it. Yeah. Nobody here is suicidal. Yeah, it's like, you know, to do shit just for the sake of doing it. Yeah, is, to say I did it. Yeah, yeah. Is, is what somebody who's never been to war. And that, it's horribly misled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are the two key components for canine success? That's effective training and proper nutrition. Fueled by Team Dog brings those two components to your family and best friend. The perfect nutritional balance that results in a higher mental acuity, energy, overall vitality, and even an improved appearance. Every product you will find in my company's store was born from the battlefield and not from the boardroom. Let my life's work help you become your dog's hero. As you guys know, sleep is a huge component to recovery uh, and really all aspects in life. And it's something that a lot of us have struggled with, uh, you know, for a lot of our lives, frankly. Uh, as you know, I've been a, uh, a big proponent of Beam, which is a hot cocoa that, uh, you know, you drink before you go to sleep. And it's helped tremendously in terms of hours of sleep maintained as well as the uh, quality of sleep. Today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, which is their science-backed hot cocoa for sleep, and it's got no added sugar. Better sleep has never tasted better. As you know, other sleep aids can cause next-day grogginess um, and just make you feel crappy, but Dream contains a powerful all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, and apigenin, also melatonin, to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up feeling refreshed. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash mic drop, all caps, all one word, and use code mic drop, all one word, all caps at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash mic drop and use code mic drop for up to 40% off. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Uh, anything else from, uh, from our time together uh, at the team before we transition into what you did after that? Um, schism between the platoons. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever even really talked about that. Yeah, between between the platoons. So we came back from that first deployment, the the, the cruise box PT deployment, where we were on what uh, sixteen different vessels. Yeah, over so, six months. Mm -hmm. The East Timor. We went from Australia to East Timor, and then into Bahrain, then to Yemen, yeah, then to okay. Dubai. What about uh, Singapore and? Singapore was the second deployment. Was it? Yeah. Oh. See, so I, I knew, I knew yeah. we were going to, because I know you remember yeah. that timeline shit for you is just yeah. flawless, yeah. and I can't do it. So, uh, so first deployment, we did Hawaii, Kwajalein, um, yeah. Australia. Yeah. Australia, East Timor. Dude, that Australia trip was awesome. Yeah, it was. I mean, hopping a fucking plane and going to dive on the Great Barrier Reef. and Yeah. Well, th th when we were going to go swimming off the pier, we'd yeah. been there for what? We'd been on the ground for 24 hours? Yeah. 
and we're there with the Australian army on that pier oh, in, yeah. in, uh, in Darwin. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, Hey, we're going to go out and swim. You guys want to come? And one of the fucking Australian guys, I don't think it's a good, good idea, mate. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to butcher my fucking Australian accent. And, he's, yeah. and we're like, what the fuck? We're just going to go swim. He's like, yeah, it's, it's a dry season, mate. It's, it's a competition, whether the yeah. whites get you or the Crocs. Yeah. It's fucking terrible. And we're like, fuck you. He said, we just thought he was fucking with us. And so he took a couple of chickens down the end of that yeah. pier and threw them in the water and a croc got one, a fucking shark got the other in seconds. Yeah. Fuck this. We were going to go jump in that fucking water. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking idiots. And then driving, uh, Glenn and I drove out to that fucking national park. Um, Litchfield. Yeah, Litchfield. Yeah, Yeah, that's damn near the size of the state of Arizona. Yeah. And camp for like three days. Yeah. Yeah, just fucking, yeah, good times. And then flying down and doing the Great Barrier Reef diving. Oh, yeah, there was a handful of us that that told our leadership that we were going to camp at Litchfield over a long weekend and, and hop on a fucking plane. I mean, I can't imagine doing it now. Like we're in, in a foreign country on yeah. deployment and we're like, yeah, we're going to camp for four days. And then, yeah, we hop a, a Qantas air flight across the, the fucking continent to the, yeah. to the gold coast to where uh, Cairns or cans the way they pronounce yeah. it. Um, and, uh, yeah, did like a three day fucking pub crawl slash dive Diving on the trip. great barrier yep. reef. And yeah. It Good was times. Fucking, it was awesome. I don't, did, did I mean, did we ever tell him we did that? Yeah, if he watches this, he'll know now. I don't know. If, I don't remember if we talked about it maybe at Glenn's funeral. Because that was under McNary, and McNary yeah. would have lost his fucking ever-loving mind. Yeah. But yeah. Van would have been like, hey, right. fucking you ain't getting in trouble, because he came from that old school yeah. world. And like, well, did anybody die? Yeah. All right. He'd have done the, Duke, I, the Dukes of Hazard. Can I, God damn it, boys. God damn it, boys. Now, can I cover <laughs> your ass? All right, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, I guess back to the timeline. We did. Yeah, so... Australia, uh, the East Timor non-combatant evacuation back to mm-hmm. Australia, uh, and then steamed straight to Bahrain. We weren't in Bahrain for very long, and then the coal got hit. Yeah, that's right. And then jumped on the Tarawa, took the Tarawa. It down. seemed to me we'd gone from East Timor straight to the coal, but maybe we did do Bahrain first. Yeah, we had to, we went to straight to Bahrain okay. first, uh, and and it actually happened when we were in Bahrain. Okay, so we we hadn't been in Bahrain for very long. Um, but yeah, the coal happens, so we jump on the Tarawa and and roll with the Tarawa R group all the way down to Yemen, and then we and then that's when the coal, the Mount Rushmore, and the or I'm sorry, the the coal was uh, got bombed. Mm-hmm. The, the we roll down on the Tarawa, and because the the Tarawa was close, we we got down there and and we're on the Tarawa for a little while while the Mount Rushmore and the Duluth were meeting us. Right. So then when they showed up, we went back on the on the Duluth because right. that's what we were on. Um, and then stayed there for two months and then went to Dubai, UAE, did the, the port, yeah. port oh, security that's right. stuff. Yeah. yeah, the volleyball the volleyball trip. Yeah, and then, uh, Oof. And then, uh, <laughs> and then on the way back, that's an inside joke that nobody else is going to fucking get. God damn. Oh, that is absolutely great. priceless. I am yeah. so glad you reminded me of that. <laughs> Holy shit. That is awesome. Uh, one one fucking exclamation that says that's so much. So fucking yeah. crazy that that's that triggering in it. Yeah, it's it's like smells from when yeah. you're a kid or a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, so we were there for about five six weeks and then uh, did Thailand, Hong Kong on the way right. home. So on that whole deployment, uh, going into that deployment, I was kicking around. I had done uh, a bunch of uh, sprint triathlons and I'd done I don't know maybe at that point I was four or five half Ironman distance triathlons in. And I was kicking around doing a full, a full length Ironman. And there was a warrant officer on that, uh, on the Duluth. Oh shit. I can picture his face. I can't think of his name. 
but he had done a whole bunch of Ironmans over his, over his life. And we were talking about it. He was like, you're looking to do one. He said, you should do New Zealand. So it's a freshwater swim. It's the second oldest uh, Ironman length race on the planet. And he said, the place is just spectacular. So I signed up to do it. Right at the beginning of that deployment, I bought a piece of shit Trek bike that I mounted on an ammo can in my CB shelter for the air ops CB shelter. And I had a little TV in there <laughs> and I had a radio and I had just enough room to sit on a magnetic trainer with my bike mounted to an ammo can. And I ran on a treadmill. So I did that whole deployment. I trained to go and do an Ironman. And I mean, I remember you doing that shit, you know, seeing you spending hours. Yeah, I'd, hours I'd, 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 I'd sit four fucking hours on that bike in that CB shelter. Yeah. Just pedaling on was, a magnetic trainer. Was, I mean, was there some rhyme to the reason uh, pyramid-wise? or like, I mean, did you have a trainer? Or was it just like, oh, I, I'm going to go spend some? I didn't know really what I was doing other than I knew the distance that I was getting into. I had done halves, but I'd never trained under a like a formal trainer until my third half. I hired a guy, and I, did, uh, I got introduced to what they call heart rate training yeah. for endurance work. And so everything I did on the treadmill and on the bike, I just used that heart rate and math that he had given me. And I trained in those zones for longer and longer periods for that whole cruise. Yeah. So I didn't get in the water really at all. We swam in, well, we swam in Dubai a lot. Yeah. Swam in Hawaii on the way back. But no, the water wasn't my problem. My problem was the run and the ride. Yeah. Uh, so when we got back from that deployment, it was in, in early February of '01. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When was the actual? Uh, I think it was March first. I mean, we got back and I was in town. I had ordered a I had ordered a really nice tri bike from a I can't even remember the company. It was a it was a carbon fiber titanium blend out of uh, out of Tennessee. Yeah. God damn, that was a nice bike. It was yeah. so smooth and so fast. Yeah. And uh, it showed up like a week before I had to fly to New Zealand for the race. And so I put it together and I rode it up and down the strand like four times. I'm like, okay, good enough. And I boxed it and sent it to New Zealand. Yeah. And I flew over and did, and did uh, New Zealand. That was Lake Taupo, right? Yeah, Lake Taupo yeah. On, the, on the North Island. And uh, it was awesome. The, the, that trip was spectacular. I, had, uh, I hadn't done free fall yet. For, for the teams, I'd been wanting free fall, but that was when the Army still ran that and we didn't have our own control over it. So guys, shit. It was tough to get a spot. Well, I was 12 years in and I was trying to, I was still trying to get free fall. Yeah. And I'd finally, I ended up with it after, but I went to New Zealand and I, I, I shit, I took three weeks of leave, you know, post-deployment leave. I did the race and then I stayed. There was a, a drop zone, a civilian drop zone on the run course. And so the group that I flew over with, I, threw, I flew over in one of those uh, organized groups for foreign races. And uh, the race organizers were super awesome. The, the people in the group, I, I, made, I made some decent friends in that group, and they wanted to go do a, a tandem jump like the, a couple of days after. And then they were all flying back with the group, and I decided I was going to stay from the tandem. So I went and did the tandem with them because I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'll go do a tandem. And while we're under canopy coming down, I asked, I was like, hey, what's the deal with getting qualified? He's like, you mean getting your own? I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, it's like 12 jumps and it costs, it was cheaper there than it was in the States. And it was an FAA certification. So it was a global certification. I was like, could I? He's like, 
Yeah, yeah, that we do them on a recurring. It's not a set timeline. You just come in and you get your jumps when you can get your jumps. So I just elected to stay and get my free fall certification civilian. And uh, <laughs> a couple of blonde chicks, uh, uh, New Zealand girls, teaching me to skydive. And they just thought it was hilarious that, yeah, yeah this fucking Navy SEAL. I'm like, are you going to go home and tell your mates that a couple of <laughs> Sheila's tie? I'm like, fuck yeah, I am. I'm going to brag my ass off. <laughs> I don't give a shit who's teaching me. What but, else can I tell them? But my ground school hugely abbreviated so it was supposed to be an eight-hour ground school to learn how to pack and learning the structure of you know how to jump and how to pack and how to fly and all that shit and body positions and Lynette was my head instructor's name and she says uh I said I'm I'm getting ready to start packing I throw a shoot out and she goes you look like you've handled a pair I was like well if I've done other shit can we abbreviate this she goes what's your background and I had because my first platoon chief on the east coast was a jump guy. He was an air guy. And we jumped fucking everywhere. I've got like 86 static line jumps, which is kind of unheard of in the teams because yeah. guys get 10 and they're fucking done because they suck. Yeah. And they're just miserable. But I, I think I have 86. And so I told her, I said, I've got like 86 static lines and I'm a parachute rigger for the teams. She goes, you have that in the bag in the next 10 minutes? I'm like, well, I didn't mean abbreviate it that much. <laughs> nah, you'll be fine. I'll, I'll brief you in the air. Yeah. Oh, and good. so she did. She, I got, I, I put the shoot in the back. She, she verified everything. She's like, yep, good to go. Put it on. Let's get in the plane. Jesus. Like, oh shit. That just got real in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Well, so, I, I mean, it's a cool story on the, uh, on the jumping thing. I noticed you glossed over the Ironman. I mean, you finished. I did. Yeah. yeah. What was the time? Do you remember? Uh, 12, 36, I think. So expectation versus reality. Like how was it? Uh, it was about what I thought it was going to be. I was really hoping to break 12 hours. That was my goal. And I was, I was super, despite the lack of training in the water, history in the water, it's like history of shooting. You put time in and, and muscle memory is there. So my swim was really good. My ride was okay. My run was fucking miserable. Yeah. And it, it was just more of that. I've, I've never been a runner. And psychologically, going from non-running to running stress fractures all the way up into my pelvis, it, I was never psychologically geared towards running i didn't like it yeah and so the run was fucking miserable for I mean, me did you have to dig deep to finish it no i, I there, there was no i wasn't gonna finish it i just was fucking miserable and slow yeah. yeah it was it was it was really slow i mean i i did most of the run with a wheelchair athlete that i met on the run yeah and him and i had lunch after and we talked and you know, got all you know actually talked but Every aid station, they had aid stations pretty much every mile, and every aid station, I was either passing him or he was passing me. Yeah, for the whole for the whole thing, and it was fucking miserable. Yeah, how how did you feel afterwards? I mean, were you pretty wrecked or or not bad? I was. Um, it was real similar to post hell week. Yeah, um, not as bad because it wasn't with as lack of and not near the miles, but yeah. well, it was six days either. It was also condensed dramatically. I mean, twelve hours doing that much distance. Yeah is is pretty significant and it is it's fucking hard yeah yeah i mean it's impressive i mean especially leading up to training for it on a deployment where yeah. it's not like we weren't doing other shit real right. world shit you know so right and then and then again the reminder that i was an average yeah. fucking team guy athlete <laughs> like it's fucking you crazy like to throw that in there i do yeah, yeah. i'm, I'm proud of that i'm yeah. proud of my average yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um all right so come back um We've kind of already talked about the combat deployment to a certain extent, or I mean, I've well, so the the SISM thing, yeah. Um, 
so we came back and neither one of us had any schools coming up. So we were between deployments. We were, yeah. we were, we were between deployments and we were also pre workup for the next platoon yeah. roll in. Yeah. And we didn't, and when I came back from uh, New Zealand, I actually had, I was slotted for free fall school. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking great. Now I already paid for that. Yeah. Jackasses. Yeah. So we went over to SISM and it's fucking, it's a French acronym for something. I don't, do you remember what it means? I mean, I, I don't, the, the actual SISM, no, it's again, yeah, it's, but it's, it's four French words, but it's the Navy pentathlon team. Well, but it was the Navy. What we were doing was a pentathlon, but SISM is like a, it's a NATO country military. Olympics yeah for all intents and purposes and we were doing the the pentathlon the so there was two swimming events obstacle course the obstacle well the row the run and shoot so basically biathlon type shit that was like a little over three miles I think it was a 5k plus shooting yeah and then the and then the the O course that was what like a minute 40 minute 50 short by comparison and you had fucked your groin up on when, deployment. On deployment. And so you were trying to work through that, but I was actually, because I'd come back from that, I'd come from the Ironman, and I was I was actually in the best, probably the best shape of my adult life at yeah. the time. I was, I don't know, 178 pounds, and I was actually running sub-six-minute miles for, you know, three, four, or five miles at a, at a run, which was just unheard of for me. Yeah. And then I crashed and burned on that O course and broke both arms. Yeah. And you took the opportunity to fuck with me. I mean, horribly as I should have fucking bully. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like it's a bit of a misrepresentation. No, it's pretty accurate. I mean, so, okay. So let me step, I'll set the stage if, if I may, is is it okay? If I I wish you would. Okay. So we're, we're in the competition part of eliminating who could possibly go to Turkey and do the games this year. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's the morning of the O course and the O course is a little short thing. Like I said, it's just under two minutes. And uh, the first obstacle is a hurdle. Well, it was a track hurdle forever, but the old Vietnam-era master chief that ran the course. Oh, lucky. Lucky. Uh, he, somebody kept stealing his track hurdle. So there was a male track hurdle, a female track hurdle, two different heights. And they kept stealing his track hurdle, so he planted two posts in concrete with a sliding horizontal so that he could set it for women's height and set it for men's height. I got little stubby legs, and so men's height was right at belly button for me. So that's quite a ways above my crotch. <laughs> and I went into that shit full tilt because I wanted to go to I wanted yeah. to go to Turkey and compete. I thought that was fucking just great. I'm in the best shape of my life. And I hit that hurdle with my right leg extended and my left arch caught that upright and I pinwheeled into the ground like this, just as hard as humanly possible. And I heard my right arm break. Yeah. My, uh, my, uh, right, uh, uh, fucking whatchamacallit, that one. Your elbow. Yeah. And, uh, radial head. Yeah. Radius. And, uh, I heard it break when I hit the ground and cause I hit just slightly off kilter. My right arm hit first and you come walking over giggling like, holy shit, you're fucking useless. (laughs) And I'm like, my fucking arm's broken. (laughs) You're like, how the fuck do you know? I'm like, I fucking heard it break. It's fucking, oh my God, it's fucked up. And so, you know, they stopped everything. And you and I went over to x-ray right there on the base. What, like fucking four minute drive. Yeah. Uh, But before we did, you snapped me in the nuts with my own shorts because I couldn't undress myself. And you thought it was fucking funny. Well, I mean. Again, you're you're an asshole. Again, to be fair, (laughs) 
when a grown man's like, hey, can you help me take my shorts off? I, my arms didn't work, dude. Yeah, Come I, on. Have yeah, some sympathy. Uh, no, none? No, 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 none. I would say you'd have gotten truckloads of sympathy <laughs> had you displayed any sympathy for me for our entire friendship up until that point. All right. That's, all right. That so might be. That might be fair. The shoe fits. So. so anyway, we go over to x-ray and I've still got my shirt on and I'm trying to help the guy take my shirt off. And he goes, just, I'm just going to cut it off. Fuck him on my favorite shirts, dickhead, whatever. I said, my left arm hurts too. He's like, well, we're going to do bilateral x-rays because for comparison, that's typical. Yeah. That's standard practice. And so he takes his x-rays and we're sitting out in the waiting room and he comes out just chuckling. He goes, they're both broke to shit. Good luck. I already sent it up to the hospital. I just dismiss yeah. us. Yeah. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. So both radio heads are broken. So we're driving off of the island. And when you go down Orange, you turn right to go across the bridge and you did not turn right. You kept going. And I'm like, dickhead, where the fuck? He's like, and I remember you looking at me like, you don't think I'm going to go sit in the ER with you for fucking two or three hours on an empty stomach, do you? I'm going to eat, motherfucker. <laughs> and so you took me to lunch, uh, yeah. which was fucking great because I couldn't feed myself. I yeah. remember sticking nuggets on a fork with my left arm that yeah. kind of worked yeah. and wedging them in the table and leaning over the table to eat them because you wouldn't help because you thought that shit was so fucking funny. Yeah, it's, it's funny looking back, the things that uh, that you find amusing, I guess. It is. But, uh, yeah, there was a, it was a KFC Pizza Hut Taco yeah. Bell. Yeah, the Kentaco Hut. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we were eating like spicy KFC fucking boneless wings. And, uh, oh, shit. And so then we drive up to the hospital, and I check in, and they know that I'm coming, and we're sitting out there, and I'm, I'm in a bad way. I don't have any pain meds or anything. Now, here's, the, here's where the fucking shoe goes the other direction. So my boy fucks with me, but nobody else gets to, yeah. which is fucking I, – I, I love that part of the community. Like – I'll fuck with you to my heart's content, but nobody from the outside is allowed to play that game. And so we're sitting out there and you're like, how you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking miserable. And so you go up to the desk and I'm fucking first class Corm was like, what can I, like my buddy over there has two broken arms and nobody's fucking doing anything. You think you could fucking motivate somebody to do some shit. Guys like, well, he, we know that we know that he's here and we'll, we'll, we'll get on it. And you're like, that's not good enough for me. <laughs> so you flip open their little fucking counter deal and you walk in the back and there's like five guys back there, guys and girls in khakis, you know, fucking officer types standing back there running their fucking mouths. And now you're loud and fucking pissed. And I'm sitting out in the waiting room and I hear, hey, do any of you fuckers work in here? Because we're both in civilian clothes. They don't know who the fuck we are. Yeah. Like, hey, do you any of you fuckers work in here? Well, well, yeah. Well, my buddy's out there with two fucking broken arms. Maybe you stop fucking running your mouths and get out there and fucking do your goddamn jobs. <laughs> and he's not the only one sitting in the fucking waiting room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking kicking the hornet's nest. Yeah. And then the guy comes out and tries to shake my hand. Sorry yeah. about that. I'm like, my arms are broken. Yeah, both oh, both. sorry. And so he offers me his other hand. I've said arms, plural. <laughs> They're both broken. Fuck face. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Yeah. Uh, shit. And so then I... Then I went to free fall school with a fucked up wing. Yeah. Well, so you, I mean, you had, well, the, the other thing of note is a, a mutual friend of ours who we met through Glenn, uh, Gino was, right. was your surgeon. Right. And this was something that was a cool experience for me. Uh, is that it was I, so awesome. Like I, yeah, I mean, for the listeners, I, I got to, to sit in on his elbow surgery, yeah. like in the operating room, fucking and, and watch it. And right. it was the first time I, I was ever like, or I guess it, it was the the awakening uh, for me to understand how violent fucking yeah. 
repair surgeries are on uh, from an ortho standpoint yeah. it's like yeah, it was it was super i mean it was really cool and it was it was twofold cool so hey can mike come into my surgery well technically it's supposed to be family mike he's my brother yeah because i get that but he's like i was like well can you he's like i'll talk to the surgical team if nobody has a problem with it we'll make it happen so he talks to him and everybody's cool with it so we're in surgery and he opens my arms up so it's two surgeons it's him on one side and uh the other guy's name was Booher, older guy, did my left side. So my right side was the more fucked up side. And when he opened it up, he didn't have all the parts he needed to do the surgery. He couldn't put it back together. He had to send out for shit. So he needed to keep me under anesthesia, but he hadn't, I hadn't approved. Yeah. I hadn't signature approved a catheter. Yeah. Nor did you think you had one going in. Nor so. that I, th- that I think I was going to get one. And so Gino looks to Mike, he's like, and Mike's like, fuck yeah, I'll sign it. Can I put it in? <laughs> also. So, so I'm unconscious. I don't know any of this shit's going on. Uh, so I get this surgery. I'm under for what, almost nine hours. Yeah, it was a long one. Yeah, it was a long surgery. So my left arm's buttoned up and they finally get my right arm buttoned up. And I'm coming out of anesthesia and Mike's sitting in the fucking waiting room. Hey, you gotta, you're sitting in my, in my room. Hey, you got a piss yet? No, no, I'm good. Holy shit. Wow. How long was I out? Oh, you were out for a long fucking time. You had a piss yet? Yeah. They just need, they need you to piss. They, so they, they need they you to piss to make sure that you're, that everything's okay. I'm like, I don't. And then I'm like, I, I think I could put it, you know, help me get up. So he helps me out of bed and I'm fucking, both my arms are pegged to my hips. And so I go in and I fucking, and I start to piss. I'm like, what the fuck? It just burns like hell. And he's laughing. Goes, so I got to put a catheter in you and take it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i'm and i'm still good friends with gino yeah, yeah I've, I've actually i've actually been in with him on yeah. other surgeries and yeah. it is it's super fucking cool yeah. it's like a really clean woods project yeah it's fucking really neat to see orthopedic yeah, surgery done correctly it's really i mean i was surprised at how violent it was yeah. though i mean there's times where like they'd have their foot up on the table like, leaning into pulling on you and, and or hammering shit into yeah. your into your body and just like holy fuck well they did three surgeries on this arm and the last surgery i got him to video and him and the other surgeon both because they were worried about uh they were worried about fucking up the uh the the brachial nerve yeah this thing's this thing's irritating yeah, well getting loud. um so instead of cutting in the front they go in from the back and then they use like rib spreaders to pull all this shit out of the way to to do the surgery and gino's up on the table on his knees and he's got his hand in my elbow and he's moving around he goes i don't that doesn't feel like that's supposed to be there and he's talking to the other surgeon the other guy's a hand specialist to make sure they don't kill my hand and uh he gets down the other guy gets up he goes he goes yeah let's cut it out and see what happens yeah, they're just winging it. So it grew, they call it a contracture. So my joint grew an extra tendon to protect the damage that had been done. Biology's fucking nuts. Yeah. And uh, so they cut that contracture out and my arm fell to full extension because before that surgery, I could only extend my arm to... Yeah, I remember. I don't know, it was like maybe just like 95 to 110 degrees. I couldn't get it to 180. I couldn't even get close. Yeah. And even now I can't get to 180. I'm probably 165. Yeah. first straight it won't go straight as my as my left arm yeah but yeah watching him do that surgery i was like that's and, and then when he when we talked i was watching i watched that video and you're like yeah the, the first one was fucking violent like that too it's nuts yeah yeah it was, it was fucking wild to see so yeah 
yeah, so we're both on the SISM team. I tear my fucking groin, so I can't go to Turkey. You bust I, your elbow, so you can't so go, I to can't go to Turkey. So I can't go to Turkey. Yeah, neither of us ended up getting to compete, but we were both on the team for the season, yeah. which was a neat experience. Yeah, it was. Um, and, then, and then the training protocols, like I said, that was the best running I'd ever yeah. done. I mean, it was like being a professional athlete, yeah, you know, well. spending five, six hours a day, mm-hmm. five, six days well, a week. Yeah, working training. out. All right, so fast forward, we go through the Iraq deployment platoon. Uh, talked some of those stories about it. Reflecting back on it now, I guess, do you, do you look at the Iraq deployment as uh, as anything in particular of, you know, in, in any way of how you remember it? I mean, what, what, what do you reflect on as far as that goes? The, the, the guys always, I mean, I went, I went into the military probably the same <sighs> naive God and country, well, less God for me, but country and, you know, patriotism and all that shit and an opportunity to travel. And by that point in my career, I'd, I'd gotten old enough to see behind the curtain enough to realize what a crock of shit a lot of American policy is globally because it has nothing to do with anything other than furthering a monetary issue. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it was, it was about the boys. Yeah. Uh, this is, these are my boys and we, we went together. We're coming home together was always the, yeah. that was always the litmus for me. Yeah. And, and I, I think the deployment went well because of that attitude. Yeah. Cause I think it was, I think it was relatively well shared. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, your time at Team Three came to an end shortly thereafter, and then you end up going to, to air operations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, Tom. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I'd never done a, a non platoon tour. You know, a, a, a shore, a shore, team. a shore tour for a SEAL. I'd never done that. I'd only been at, at at SEAL teams with deployments in in the future, and I wanted to do I wanted to do a a shore tour, and I got orders to buds and i didn't know where i wanted to work well shit we both got orders to buds you you went to buds as well but you went to the base course and i went to the advanced side and i went to the advanced side based off of tommy barker's recommendation because i'd gotten really heavy into the air stuff yeah and uh he was at air from our first deployment he went over there and so he was at the tail end of his time there he's like if you want you'd have a really good time over here and so we were we did static line jump master course and the ropes course, uh, HRST master course. So all the repelling, spy rope, fast rope, all of that stuff, the master side of it, the guy that runs and sets all that shit up. And so we were teaching that course. And then we built the free fall course for the, for the community yeah. based off of the Army model so that we could do our own thing and get more guys certified. Yeah. And you spent three years there, right? Uh, just a little over three. It was uh, So I got there in... So we came back in March from that deployment. No, yeah, it was like May, June. Yeah, it was May, June. Yeah, because my birthday was over there when you guys tried to haze me. Yeah, and it didn't go well. Well, there wasn't you guys. I wasn't in on. Oh that, well, yeah, but Glenn but, tried, and yeah. then he's like, "Fuck, this isn't even any fun." Well, there was like five guys that tried, and they yeah. couldn't wrap you up. Yeah, you were just an angry bitter I was, fuck. Yeah, because I was, and I'll fucking kill everybody. And Glenn, Glenn said he said at one point I thought about cold cocking you, but I figured if I didn't kill you when I when you came to, you'd yeah. have remembered that shit, yeah. and I didn't want that on my conscience. Yeah. Um, fucking Glenn, he tried to pull my head off in Hawaii. Oh yeah. We were all fucking sleep deprived and he got all mad cause I was blowing the horn being yeah. an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> There's a million stories. So, uh, whatever it was, June, June ish, yeah. probably going over to air ops. And I went in I went over there and you went over the base course. And then I was, 
well, shit, I was coming up on a reenlistment and it, and I wanted to just stay at air. Uh, I was the LPO over there and I was, there was nobody to fill my, cause it was like a six month work to get a guy to be in the job that I was in. It took me six months to get to where I could be an instructor. That's, you know, it's the way the teams run the instructor qual process, I think is very valid. Yeah. And, and it does, it makes it, it, not entirely, but it weeds out most guys that want to be an instructor just to be a douche. Yeah. And it makes guys want to do the right thing for the right reasons. And so they didn't have anybody to fill my position and I pitched to stay. And the detailer at the time, my first issue with a detailer was really good, you know, coming from college, going in, and now it's bad. And it was a guy that I'd gone through buds with. And he's like, no, you got to go back to a platoon. Well, now I'm sneaking on 40 and I've multiple broken things, multiple surgeries. And I think there's too many guys. And in our community, I think this is especially true. And I think it's probably true in all spec ops communities. Guys are too arrogant and they don't know when to pull the plug for themselves to say, Hey, I'm more of a liability than I am a help. And I think that's, I think it's a failing of the, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, the alpha male mentality. It's a failing guys, not being able to say, this is where I am. And this is what I can bring to the game that will be beneficial for everybody. And uh, the, the marker was, man, you need to do another deployment. I'm like, I've already done a deployment more than you have with a four-year break in service, and I've been on both coasts. And you have been on four shore tours in your 18 years. You've done less deployments than I have. And I called him on it, but he's an E8 and I'm an E6, and fuck you. Deal with it. And, uh, and I told him on the phone, I was like, you know, I, rem- I, I used to remember stories when we were in the, uh, on the East Coast about guys going from Tennessee out to the West Coast detailers and getting their asses kicked for talking <laughs> shit on the phone to a guy on the West Coast thinking, fuck him, I'll do whatever fuck I want. I'm the detailer. Yeah. And I told him that on the phone. I said, I remember hearing those stories. And if I ever see you in person again, one of us is going to the hospital because <laughs> fuck you. Yeah. And so he's like, you're either going to do another platoon or you're going to go to Bahrain. And well, Bahrain is a one-year tour. They call it a, hard, a hardship tour. So it's typically unaccompanied. And usually from a hardship tour with the Navy, you get your choice of orders coming out. I was like, I'll go do my year in Bahrain. I'll come back to Air Ops. Fuck them. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, fine. Fuck it. Send me, to, send me to Bahrain. So I went to Bahrain. And when I came, when I was getting ready to leave Bahrain, he had extended as the detailer in Tennessee and he was still my detailer. Yeah. He's like, oh, you're going back to a platoon. I'm like, I'll get the fuck out. And now I'm at, well, when I got out, I was at like 16 months or 16 years, three months and nine days, I think, was my exit. And he's like, nobody gets out over 15 years. I'm like, you have to change that fucking speech because I'm a grown man. I don't have kids. I don't have a wife and I don't have any property. I'll live in my truck and you can go fuck yourself. And so I was just a bitter bitch and I quit. Yeah. Well, but the, uh, there's more to it though. The, the letter that you sent there, there's, there's, yeah, there's asides yeah. cause my, cause I can't keep my fucking mouth shut. Cause you, you were back stateside in kind of a holding area, right? Like, well, no, the, the letter was when I was in Bahrain. So when okay. I was in Bahrain, I was the LPO of air ops for, or LPO of the training department for debt three. And so I made, I made inroads with a guy. He was a, he was a British expat that was running the Bahraini special police force. They were like a, they were the King's private fucking police force. Yeah. And they were really good guys, but they were horribly undertrained. They had a lot of money. So I talked to this guy, his name was Mike Page. And I, well, 
his name is Mike Page. And if he doesn't <laughs> like me, he can, fucking, he can call me and tell me he didn't like me saying that. But he was a fucking really good guy, and he was connected to the king of Bahrain. Well, the debt, because it was U.S. forces, the debt didn't have access to shooting ranges and explosives ranges and a place to jump. We didn't have that access because nobody would actually do the work. They'd go over there and fuck off for a year and do nothing and then be bitter about it. Yeah. Well, so I worked with a guy that came from Alaska, uh, Todd, and another guy named Coach uh, Warnoffser. We were in training together, and I was like, hey, this guy Mike can connect us to if we're just willing to share and, and take his guys. And so, you know, one was a chief, the other was, was the OIC. And so they're like, well, let's fucking do shit. If we're going to be here for a year, let's do shit for a year. So every week we were shooting, we were blowing shit up. We were jumping, we were fucking doing hook and climbs on their, on their little, uh, uh, mothball fleet. So we hung out and shot and did shit the whole year. That global email system that had been building as we came under the wing of SOCOM an email came across my computer. I'd been over there. So this is probably November of 07. Yeah, it's probably November of 07. We just got a new CO. He'd been there maybe a month. And I didn't run anymore. I'd stopped running. I just didn't enjoy it. So I stopped running. So I didn't do morning PTs with the command. I'd go in early and lift weights and then I'd do my own shit. Well, the new CO was in the gym every morning lifting weights. So I'd see him every day. So I get this email across my computer and it's a, uh, I, I wasn't supposed to get it. The guy that sent it was, I think he was a team seven guy. It's an admin type. And he sent this email to global that was basically a pitch for special duty pay for guys that were E eight and above with over 24 years of service. And it was titled special duty pay for retention. So a guy that's been in 24 years and is an E8, they want to give that guy an extra $1,000 a month so he'll stay. Pretty sure that's not the guy you need to bait to stay. <laughs> yeah. And it fucking infuriated me. I was so mad so fast, and so I wrote a reply. To everybody. To global. <laughs> and I sent it twice because I was afraid I missed people the first time. Yeah. And my reply was fucking, it was, as an E6 in the Navy, it was fucking, it was not the right tone, shall we say. <laughs> but it was basically, I was like, yeah, this is fucking brilliant. Yeah, let's give a guy that's proven that he doesn't want to leave, that's a lifer. Let's give that guy another $1,000 a month. Meanwhile, the guys that are actually downrange in harm's way, their wives are on fucking food stamps back at the Strand and, and in Virginia because they can't make ends meet because they get fucking paid pennies and you want to give another $1,000 a month to guys that have proven they don't want to quit. Yeah. That's fucking genius. Yeah, let's just go that route. Yeah. Fucking military bureaucracy at its finest. Send. Oh, I made it. My, oh, send again. And I went home. It's like five o'clock in Bahrain. Fucking, I didn't. I never gave it another thought. I vented myself and I walked away. I came in the next morning. I'm fucking, I don't know, two sets into my workout. CO comes in. Does courtesy nod, courtesy nod. I'm we're listening to music. He keeps looking at me like, and I and I so I walked. I was like, do you need a do you need a spot? He goes, uh, you haven't looked at your email yet this morning, have you? And I went, no. And then it dawned on me that I'd sent that email the day before. Mm -hmm. and I'm like. Oh, shit. Like, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, fuck. I probably, because I sent that shit to Admiral. I sent it to everybody. Yeah. 
and he's seen it. Well, now it's, you know, 12, 14 hours later and the States have been awake. And, and I said, uh, no, I, I don't check my email when I come in the morning. I said, how bad is it? And he goes, <laughs> he stands up and he goes, it's pretty fucking impressive. <laughs> like he wasn't mad at me at all. He was so fucking mellow about it. And I, like to this day, I, I've heard a lot of bad shit about the guy over the, over the years as he's continued to progress. But him and I, no issues whatsoever because of how he handled it. And he's like, look, he's like, there is no small faction of the entire SEAL community coastals, both coasts, that are calling for your fucking head. Yeah. I'm like, huh. Okay. He goes, go check your email. I'm on, I know what's happened. The command master chief knows what's happened. Go check your email. Come over and talk to me. So I've got, I don't know, a hundred plus emails directed right at me. I'm like, hmm. like from people you don't even know. Some that I don't know, some that I do know, but I also know how long I've been in the hierarchy of, you know, what Bud's class and seniority yeah. and all that shit. So I pay attention to that shit because you should. And everybody's a new guy to somebody. And uh, so I go over and I talk to the CEO and I talk to the command master chief and they think this shit's just fucking hilarious, which like I fucking pissed some, I, I pissed people off. They were calling for me to be court-martialed and fucking locked up to me, I mean, or, or to have my rank removed yeah. and be kicked the fuck out. It's crazy. Just because I had an opinion about some shit that's just fucking bureaucratically idiotic. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it, it's weird, like taking a step back again, like in that moment. And, and I know when it happened, like similarly, I was like, oh shit, he's fucked. And you know, like I'm scared for you, you know? And, and then like, now that we've been out a while, you look back and you're like, that is dumb as fuck that, so, that that's even a problem, let alone. Right. So my conversation with the CEO, and again, this is why I liked him. He said, and I told him, I said, look, up front, I never even considered the blowback for you as the CEO. I simply spoke my mind as I felt it needed to be spoke. And he's like, look, we're similar time in the community. He said, we came up, this is supposed to be a community of adults that can fucking speak their mind without people getting their fucking feelings hurt. Yeah. So he said, quite frankly, I don't give a fuck about everybody else. He said, I know what you're doing here. I know how you're doing here. And I know that you're fucking a solid dude. I've already done research on you because of this. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, you know, back in a, a yeah. shit player. Yeah. He says, I said, so how do we proceed? He says, anybody that emails you personally, whether they CC me or not, respond to them in kind, however the fuck you want. Have fun with it. Fuck it. Yeah. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. 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 Well, you were at Bud still. And so I, I called you and I got you to research like half a dozen different names to find out what, because I got a whole bunch of this fucking new guy. You, you got no fucking idea. And a lot of the guys that, well, fuck all, but like one of them that played the fucking new guy game went through buds between 20 and 50 classes behind me. Yeah. They just happened to be senior to me because I couldn't keep my mouth shut and I wasn't getting promoted. Yeah. And so I did, I went round and round with a whole bunch of guys and out of all the guys that I responded to personally, three talked to me a second time yeah. based off of my re response to their fucking new guy, fuck you. And one of them we've actually become friends and he's, he, he owned a couple of uh, chiropractic offices in San Diego's warrant. Mm. And he's like, dude, what the fuck? 
I'm like, hey, because he was going to get that money. Yeah. If, they, if they approved this up through Congress and the Senate, he would have got that money. I'm like, don't you own a couple of chiropractic offices in San Diego? Do you really need the money? And so his response to me was, yeah, you're right. I don't fucking need the money. You're absolutely right. He said, it's the tone you use that I have a problem with as, you know, a W-4. I think your tone was wrong. And I said, hey, let me, let me ask you this. I said, if I had used a different tone, would you have even read the email I wrote? quiet for me. He goes, no, I wouldn't have. Like, so the tone was necessary and ultimately the pay never got approved. It, it, it didn't go, it didn't go through. Now, I don't know that I had anything to do with that at all. It may have been a pipe dream to begin with, yeah. but the fact is it was a fucking stupid idea and somebody needed to call it a stupid idea. And I did. Yeah. Yeah. So then fast forward when I'm getting ready to get out, uh, our, uh, our double dipping scheme on terminal leave. And I, cut these fucking fingers off when we were loading to fucking drive yeah. all of our shit to Texas. And then we were, we were working for that uh, security firm and they caught me because I was on medical leave because I cut two fingers off and, uh, <laughs> and they tried to, they tried to railroad me. One of the guys that commented to me personally had a personal grief and he was trying to end my career yeah. and he was trying to end it on a bad note. Yeah. And even that didn't turn out well for him, which was nice for me. Yeah. Yeah, because they called you back and they piss tested you and yeah, all well, kinds of well shit. yeah, they fucking hair tested me for drugs because yeah. they thought I was fucking you. They were trying to find a way to wedge. They're trying to find a way to wedge, and they, I ended up at Commodore's Mass, and the Commodore was a good guy. Yeah. And he goes, "Why the fuck are you getting out?" And I said, "Quite frankly, it's because of this shit. Yeah. Because I spoke my mind. Guys have an issue with me because they don't want me to promote to where I can talk to them at equal level pay way, pay grade wise." They have an issue with me having an opinion as an E6 and I, I don't need to deal with the fucking bureaucracy anymore. I don't, I don't like it and I don't want to. Yeah. And so I fucking quit. Yeah. <laughs> fucking amen. <laughs> All right. So 16 and a half years, which is very abnormal. Uh, you know, yeah, it's almost a, nobody yeah. gets out right. that close to 20. Well, it's because marriage, kids, yeah. houses, all that shit, yeah. it stacks. And then yeah. guys can't afford to get out for yeah, most of, for most of the time. It's, they just simply yeah. can't afford to quit. Yeah, mo, mo, And I would say this is for most of society is that most people are beholden to their lifestyle choices mm -hmm. and, and the commitments that they've entered yeah. themselves into and find themselves in positions that yeah. they basically can't get out of. Well, and know? that's, you know, that's always this, well, I didn't have a choice. Well, you do. Yeah, you, you always do. have a choice. Yeah. The choice you made good, bad, or indifferent, you made on the information you had at the time. Yeah. Well, and, and even, you know, I, I when, even when I say like enter themselves into, into decisions that make it, you know, almost impossible to get out of, even that's, I mean, you can always get out of it. It's yep. just, it, it's to what detriment. Yeah. What are you, you willing know? to give up to, yeah. to, to go another route? And especially, you know, when families and kids are involved, I mean, to me, I think most people look at it as like, Hey, my, my kids didn't ask to be born. Like yeah. I, you know, I brought them into this. World. I have a commitment. Yeah, and I'm a gonna, certain, yep. you know, like I'm not just going to fucking quit my job and go live out of a fucking truck, you know, whatever. So, um, why you say it all condescending like that? It, Nothing but respect. What, what the? What? Nothing the, but what respect. The fuck? Yeah. You know I respect you. Uh, so yeah. So you decide. Oh, okay, I'm gonna for a year. We'll get back into the truck. Uh, well, I mean, so I was still pursuing golf too. I mean, I was trying to play pro golf. Yeah. Because I thought because I, I thought I was good. <laughs> and I, I mean, I was. I was good ish. I I carried a three handicap for three years, and I could play Heavy it anywhere. On the handicap. Yeah. 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 Heavy. Heavy. All right. 
heavy. I mean, my golf swing in my head, I know what it looks like in my head, and then <laughs> I, I know what it, it looks video. like on video. I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> yeah. I thought you were supposed to be videoing me. Who's fucking with this video? <laughs> Yeah, it's well, like, so, you know, the camera adds 10 pounds. So how many fucking cameras are you using? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fucking great. So, uh, you know, I was still pursuing golf and I'm, I'm OK. Now I've seen more foreign countries than U.S. states. I'm going to live in my truck and fucking play golf and I'm going to travel some. Yeah. The golf thing petered out largely because I think two reasons. One, you suck. I started really late with a fucked up body. Yeah, I you know started trying to get good late, you know, and I mean late, late, like kids that start when they're fucking four, five, six years old, yeah. they're starting yeah. on time. And here I am in my thirties. I played a little bit in high school. I played a little bit here and there, but I never played seriously until I decided when I was at advanced training. I decided I'm gonna see if I can play golf professionally. Yeah. And shit, at advanced training, I was playing 400 rounds of golf a year. Wow. And 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 I did. I got I got good. I didn't get great, but I got good, but I don't think I got between injury and my lack of willingness to commit to short game work because it was not fun. Yeah. It wasn't as fun as banging a ball really hard. Yeah. So I just, uh, discipline. I did. I didn't. And now I'm kicking around, maybe trying it again, see if I can get on the senior tour. Yeah. It's fucking weird. I'm old enough to be on the senior tour. Well, I mean, you, you didn't oh, mention shit. you went to that PGA school. I did. Right? Talk yeah. about that for a Yeah, that second. was, a, that was a, a fucking colossal waste of time and money. I had left, I had money. So I used some GI Bill that last year and a half of college. I used GI Bill money. Well, that was pre-9-11 GI Bill, and that money was shit. Yeah. And it was like, I was like $400 a month. Yeah, some crazy. Yeah, shit. it was it was pathetic. Yeah. So the post-9-11, I didn't use all of my GI Bill, so I had post 9-11 well now it's this it's the same shit it's just a better pay and they paid based off of zip code and i was pursuing golf so i went to this was in 12 i went to uh, as a pgcc in temecula california and the school it's you know it's a pga doctrine yeah which they say golf is the most taught least learned athletic endeavor on the globe and it's to a purpose because, you know, it's like the pharmaceutical companies. There's no money in curing shit. There's money in treatment. Yeah. Well, there's no money in making you a better golfer. There's money in telling you that there's better equipment to buy. Yeah. <laughs> making you think that if you get this new exactly. fucking putter that. Yeah, yeah. This driver will change your game. And that, you know, when you watch a commercial, yeah. it's no different than the fucking drug commercials. Yeah. This will make all of your fucking, despite well, all the side effects. Yeah. But at any rate, the school was a, it was kind of a wash. And. I don't know, like, um, so I was in my first semester and I got a call from my mom and she had developed cancer. And I'm like, oh, fuck, mama's boy. Shit, well, do I need to come home? <laughs> mom's response on the phone, do you know how to cure cancer? <laughs> um, um, no, I don't. She's like, then just stay where the fuck you are. I'll let you know if I need you. Yeah. Like, Holy shit, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tough woman. Yeah, fucking wrap your head around it. I might die. Fucking yeah. learn. Yeah. <laughs> You're a grown man. Figure shit out. Yeah. But the school had a it had a horrible, horrible background religious base. Really, a lot of the staff and a fuck ton of the students. And if you didn't participate in their religious dogma, you didn't get the prime 
Like group prayer and shit? Yeah. Like, really? Yeah, like weekly fucking meetings. And if you didn't go, huh. you didn't get part of the, like it was very grooming. Yeah, like you weren't from, part of the cool. From a club. religious standpoint. So when I finished, I did one semester of it and I got, I got knowledge out of it. I did get decent knowledge out of it. And I got some really solid guidance on golf specific uh, physical athletic training to overcome some of my fucking body's aches, pains, and age. So it was good for that. But then I went home and mom was in the midst of chemo and radiation. And so I just continued doing it, it at home. I, I, I made a deal with, uh, so UNM is in new is in Albuquerque and the UNM South course is a championship level course. They've hosted, they've hosted LPGA. They host college tournaments there all the time. It's a big fucking course. It's long. It's like 7,400 yards at the tips. So it's a long course. So people that know golf, that's, that's a long course. And so I just kept playing golf and then mom would go to her chemo and she'd come play golf with me. Like, you know, and she, she asked her chemo doctor, she's like, can I go play golf when I'm done in here today? Do you, do, do you want to go play golf? She's like, well, I don't want to sit around and feel sorry for myself like all the rest of you fucking people. It's like, the chemo makes you sensitive to the sun. Cover yourself up. Have a good time. Yeah. And so. What kind of cancer did she have? She had uh, uterine ovarian was the initial. And they did, uh, you know, they gutted her. They had full hysterectomy and then chemo and radiation for about a year. And uh, it's it's funny, and, and, and I say this with all seriousness, I love my mom to death, but people, I think people get wrapped around the axle around death just in general. And you know, I've had this conversation. I think people's issues with people dying is it's, it's the person that's alive. It's not the person that's dead. The people that are alive try to make it about them because they're full of shit most of their lives. And then somebody dies and like, well, I never got to say, maybe say what's on your fucking mind and let everything fall where, and then you don't have those regrets in my opinion. But all of that said, she did all of her cancer treatment and she says, okay, so if it ever comes back, I'm never doing that again. Really? She goes, yeah, that shit sucked. Like, but you taste, she's like, it sucked. It was fucking horrible. And uh, she shaved her head. She's like three months into chemo. She complained to me one day because when I started shaving my head, I was in college and she says, uh, fuck's the deal with that. I was like, it's comfortable, no maintenance. So she was complaining that her hair hurt from the chemo. Like if you wear socks the yeah. wrong way, it pushes your hair and makes the hair fucking yeah, sensitive. If you wear a hat too long. Right, right. Yeah. She was complaining about that. I was like, why don't you just buzz it? It won't hurt anymore. She goes, you think? Fucking. One way to find out. So she did. She goes, holy shit, this is awesome. Yeah. My head's cold all the fucking time. I'm like, you gotta wear a hat. Yeah, when it's cold, <laughs> it's fucking horrible. <laughs> so she shaved her head and then she was fucking just thrilled. And yeah. so she was good for, I think it was, well, it was, late 15 she got a she had a really bad cold winter of 15 um and then going into christmas she was complaining to me on the phone we talked on the phone and she's complaining she says, you know how you get those little sparklies in your vision like when you yawn something i'm like yeah she says i have that in my left eye all the time coming from the outside from my peripheral vision and down from the top what do you think i should do i'm like talk to an eye doctor <laughs> she's like oh yeah i guess i could do that she went to an eye doctor he looks at her eye. He says, I want to send you to a specialist. So I thought you were a specialist. Like, <laughs> like, like more special than me. So she goes to the specialist and he says, yeah, we need to get that out of there. She goes, what, the, the, the cyst? Because the, the original doc said he thinks, I think you got a cyst in your eye. He says, no, 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 the, the whole eye. Come again? And yeah, we need to pull the eye because that cyst, that eye fluid, it talks to your body, you know, leg bone connected to the thigh bone, all that shit. And she says, 
it will go downstream and create, and, and it could kill you. She goes, fucking brain? He goes, no, everybody thinks that. And it, it makes sense from location, but that fluid goes through your liver and then it goes, it creates liver and lung cancer. Mm. Okay. So she's scheduled to have her eye removed. And again, super pragmatic, whatever, no big deal. So I told her when we took her, it was like an hour and 15 minutes. It was a surgery to have her eye removed. Wow. I'm like, what do they use, a melon baller? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? An hour? Come on. So I said, when they take your eye out, get them to give it to you in a jar. We'll seal it in acrylic. And then when we go to restaurants, you can take it out and read the menu with it. So it'll be great for the grandkids and shit. So it's like, Did she do the degrees? They wouldn't let her have her eye. They fought her on it. She's like, no, they wouldn't let me have it. I'm like, that's bullshit. That's your eye. Fuck yeah, them. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I didn't want to pitch a fit about it. And so, yeah, so she was without an eye, but it did create liver and lung cancer. And she ended up dying in 16 from it. Yeah. And I mean, it just fucking, it, it crushed her. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you got out uh, at the end of 08. From 08 to, to when that happened, that several year period, I mean, five, six year period before you went back home. Well, I mean, I, I kind of, so when we, when we got out, I was going to build my shop at your place. Yeah. And, uh, that ended up falling apart because I didn't want to be a farmhand. And so I talked to my brother about building the shop at his place and he let me build the shop at his place. And so I was using his place as a kind of a jump off point. Yeah. So I played, God, I went all over playing golf and traveling and I saw a bunch of the, I saw a bunch of the U S I did well. I didn't do as well as I could have that first year because I was doing other shit. Yeah. And then mom having cancer, Glenn dying, like all of those things kind of, and I was dicking around with the, uh, because of Glenn, the, uh, that seal fit program out of Encinitas. And then I started building CrossFit gyms and that was fun because I was working with my hands, which I've always enjoyed. I like making shit. Yeah. So just for the listener, like you would like a CrossFit gym would say, Hey, we want a custom fucking thing built and so right. you'd measure and, and it was all like super customized work for that specific. Right. Job. I mean, it was based off of the rogue model because all of my stuff would accommodate rogue equipment because that was a smart way to do it. They were the leaders on the, I mean, huge. And it made sense to build off of that model, but I could, I could, I could customize shit to fit a space. Yeah. And I did, uh, I don't know, I think I did five or six gyms from the ground up. And they did a bunch of gym modifications and or improvements over the years. Yeah. And it was because of Glenn introducing me to the seal fit world and the CrossFit world. Yeah. And you, so like in a lot of these cases, you would have a call with them, do measurements, get pictures, whatever, then build the shit at your shop and mm -hmm. then drive it out and install well, it. Well, I never did a, I never did a custom build without being there in person. That was all I'd, I'd go and meet the gym owner and this is what we're trying to do. And how can we go about this? And so yeah. that was how it was done. It was, yeah. uh, it was, it was a complete legit custom. Yeah. I need this stuff to fit in this space. How do we go about that? Yeah. And at what point, uh, year wise, did you decide you wanted to f start fucking with knives? So again, that was your fault. Yeah. Yeah. You feel, You're welcome. I'm, I'm curious who's influenced who more over the years. I'd say it's about a draw. We're probably real close to Pretty a draw at this even. point. Yeah. Um, so I think I made that first knife in it's either 12 or 13. And it was the, it was my take on the Tom Brown tracker, which is the blade that was made kind of globally famous through the movie hunted with Tommy Lee Jones and yeah. Benicio del Toro. 
And uh, I mean, Tom Brown didn't design that knife. He took it from somewhere else. And I, I honestly don't know who designed it originally, but I did my take on it with a much longer handle. And I showed it to you. I was at your place one year and you're like, yeah, that's fucking cool. Make me one of those. So I did. And then you started showing it around and I started getting these random fucking texts and phone calls. Hey, uh, I'll trade you a case of match 308 for one of those. Hey, uh, how much to make me something like this? I'm like, fuck, I can make money making knives. Hmm. Okay. So 14, 14, the book signing tour at SHOT Show? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I went with you to SHOT Show because I'd never been, and you were there as a guest for somebody. I don't even remember who. Fuck, I don't to, remember to do the To do the book signing thing. Yeah. And I managed to wander around, and I talked to a bunch of, by their own words, custom knife makers. Yeah. None of which were willing to make a custom knife. Like, hey, I've got this. Oh, no, no, we don't do that. We've got these knives, and we do these custom options. I'm like, well, that's not a custom knife. I was really new in the game, and I suspect those people weren't, I mean, there's no way they were the end-all, be-all, but nobody there was making what I thought was a custom knife, and so I decided I was going to start dabbling. And my initial push was for uh, cord wrap stuff because it's functional and it works, but it doesn't sell very well. Um, the market, the particularly the Chinese crap market, has made that seem like cheap knives because they're using shit steel and you know mass production and all of that but uh, my my f cord wrap stuff didn't sell very well and so i did a few shows and i and i started getting a little more serious probably 16 i started legit full-time what i would call full-time and i'm making oh probably half a year i'm making knives and the other half i'm traveling doing whatever i want because once i make a knife and i put it on the site it's for sale and i can sell it from anywhere yeah. I keep, I've got a Pelican case in the truck. Anytime I'm on the road, all of my knives that are on the side are on the, yeah. are in the truck. So I can ship them from anywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and then I do custom orders, which I, I like the custom side probably more than anything else. The mass produced for me, mass produced 10 or 12 or more at a time is uh, it's boring. Yeah. It was fun initially because it was, I was learning yeah. and now I feel like I know enough to be choosy mm -hmm. and, uh, and I like to custom work best now. Yeah. And as far as your shop's concerned, I mean, you have pretty much everything in there, right? I mean, you've yeah. got a forge, a fucking... Yeah, I've got a forge. I've got a power hammer. I've got a press. I bought a power hammer because I really wanted to forge knives. Most of my stuff, even now, I'd say I'm probably 70% stock removal. And uh, for the viewer, stock removal is just taking a blank piece of steel that's a dimensional thickness, cutting a blade shape out of it, grinding it to close to finished, doing a heat treat cycle, a temper cycle, and then finish grinding it and putting a handle on it and building a sheath around it. So stock removal. And then forging is taking a blank piece of steel and beating it into the blade shape as close as possible with a minimal, for me, the minimal amount of grinding. There are a lot of guys that forge, a lot of really, really talented knife makers that forge and then they grind every piece of evidence of forging off on the knife so it looks like stock removal when they're done with it which to me doesn't make sense if you're going to beat on a piece of steel it should look like you beat on it that's my personal take on it yeah so when i forge a piece i don't ever grind all of my forged stuff off of it yeah. you can always tell that it's been beat on 
Yeah, I mean, that uh, steak knife, kitchen knife set that you have right. is fucking cool that way. I mean, right. it's from a leaf spring, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, and uh, it's, a, it's a great fucking set of knives. Right. I mean, we use them all the time. You yeah, know? well, and 5160 is my primary, well, yeah, it's, I probably forged more knives out of 5160, which is leaf spring steel, leaf spring and coil spring steel yeah. in the automotive industry. And it's to a standard, it's to a national standard. So the chemistry in the steel is consistent, but it behaves really well under a forge. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, during this time, as you, you've spent, you know, years kind of refining your your craft as it relates to, to knife making while also staying on the road, at this point, you know, ha has there ever been a time where you've thought, eh, maybe I should not settle down because I know that's, I know better than that. But, you know, like, have you ever, has, has the thought ever even crept into your mind of like, I wouldn't mind having my own place? I have, uh, I have wondered more than once, particularly in the last 15 years since leaving the Navy and living out of my truck a lot. I, I think I've slept out of my truck probably a total of 65, 70 days in 15 years. Yeah. So yeah, people are like, oh, you live on your truck out of your, but you've got a house. I'm like, no, no, I back up to the porch of my brother's house and my house is attached to his house and I walk onto the porch for my tailgate. I sleep in my truck every night. Yeah. And I like it. Um, what I, one thing I don't like about it now is I can't sit up or stand up in the back of my truck. It's too short. And the older I get, the less I like that. So I'm building a bus and that'll fix that problem. So if I get stuck in shitty weather, I'm not basically in a coffin. Yeah. I've got room to move and I've got a kitchen. And so I think the bus is going to give me latitude to keep doing this for a considerable more amount of time. But as far as getting property and participating in, society in that particular vein i don't have any desire to do it at all yeah it's, i mean uh, I, again I, I i do i think about it. Like, what the fuck do i want to be when i grow up i'm 53 i don't think i've done a ton of shit but then we sit and talk i don't i've actually done kind of quite a bit of shit yeah but i still i don't have any like i don't have a i'm not building an empire i'm not i don't have any of that desire to to participate in that vein and i think partially it's because i'm fucking cynical yeah because the structure's shit and it's supported by shit yeah you know what's the uh what's the vein I'm, I'm super proud of my country i'm disgusted as fuck with my politicians yeah it's that and and because that structure won't change until we bring back guillotines and fucking tarring and feathering i choose to participate in it as little as possible yeah i mean i i think i don't think you know I, i've known a lot of people over the last 15 years through business and, hmm. you know, turning, turning them on to you for knives or, or whatever. Right. And, and, you know, it's interesting, like, cause there's such a dichotomy between, let's say the protection dog clients that I have, right. You know, who a lot of them end up buying yeah. knives, knives from you, which is kind of, kind of interesting, but you know, pretty much. And they're all, all really good guys yeah. too. But, but the, you know, it's, it's a, pretty much a similar opinion. Like, man, that fucking guy, there's, there's so many times where I just, I want to live like he does, you yeah. know? And it's like, what's stopping you? Right. You know, choices. Yeah. But, uh, but it, it is interesting and, and I don't disagree with, uh, the sentiment there. I mean, you and I have, have talked God knows how many times. I mean, for me, you know, there's a certain financial aspect that equals the freedom right. that I'm looking for. And, and that, that's my drive. Like I could give a fuck about money. There's a, a certain way I want to live right. where I don't answer to anybody. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's really the, that's really the cut, right? It's not, can you do it? It's what are you willing to accept to do it? And what level that, yeah. what level of living are you willing to yeah. live with, with that? Yeah. Yep. But, uh, no, I, I mean, to me, it's fascinating. I'm curious, like, 
having spent 15 years on the road, what are some, some takeaways that, that uh, you would offer to, to people? <laughs> Dave Scott, two is one, one is none, two is one, two is too fucking heavy. Yeah. 100 pounds of lightweight gear still weighs 100 pounds. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, I've pared down considerably. I'm, I mean, I carry more shit than I probably need, but it's because I can. Um, I think you need less, and, and I, I use, you know, the dog analogy. People, by and large, particularly in Western society, have zero, unless they're really put against the fence to, to answer the question, the difference between need and want. Yeah. Why need all, no, no, you need food, air, and water. You want every other fucking thing in your life, and that's a choice. And, and that's fine as long as you recognize it as that. But the number of people that will tell you what their needs are that truly don't understand that those don't have anything to do with need, it's staggering. Yeah. And so I think the biggest thing that I've taken away from doing it as long as I have now is if you're comfortable in your own skin, it's super easy. If you're not, you'll be miserable as shit. Yeah. And there is no amount of happiness you can get from the world that you can't give yourself if you're comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. And I think uh, Clint Eastwood said it best in The Enforcer. A man's got to know his limitations. And there's, I mean, there's a million memes along that vein. The problem is most people take that and they just choose the positive side of shit. They're never willing to embrace the negative side of knowing your limitations. And I think that's, I think that's the biggest problem with most people. Uh, my best friend from college, he saved for... I think he put money away for three or four or five years. He saved close to a hundred grand. So that, cause he watched me. He's like, dude, are you still like, yeah, I fucking love it. I drive through, Hey, I'm coming into town. Let's go play golf. He's like, are you doing, I'm like, I do what the fuck I want to do when I want to do it. What are you doing right now? Playing golf with you. That's, that's it. It's like, I'm going to do that. So he did to his credit. He saved and he saved a lot of money so he could quit for a year and wander. He went to Europe and, uh, and he's, he's a social butterfly personality wise. Whereas I'm not. And uh, went to Europe and he did a pilgrimage, a religious pilgrimage in Spain. And he had a fucking ton of, and he's, you know, he's posting on social media. And he's having a blast. And we're talking periodically. He goes from Europe to Australia and he drives out to Ayers Rock. No cell signal, no people, nobody he knows. He's out there for four or five days. He drives back to where he gets a signal. He calls me. Like, dude, I think I'm about done. What happened? He's like, I, don't, I didn't know what day it was when I got up today. Like, Fuck, that's kind of the goal. What difference does it make what day it is? Like, that's a very human societal construct, time and days and all of that shit. And, you know, weekend versus weekday. It's a very, it's a very human thing. So that's kind of the goal. He's like, I don't like it. So I'm going to go to, so I, think, so I think he flew into Sydney, drove up to Ayers Rock, went back to Sydney, and then he had some shit that he had planned in Perth. He went and did that, and then he went back home and went back to work. And he's happier, but, but to his credit, at least he tried it. Yeah. Because well, so many people will fucking run their mouths and, and they're never even willing to step out the door and give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's that's the, the biggest part of it is knowing not just your limitations, but like what what you're going to be happiest right. doing. Yeah. You know? And, and I, I will say for me, you know, a lot of times, especially in the first 10 years, you know, in the last couple of years, things have kind of balanced out quite a bit. And that's something that you hear a lot of people talk about how important balance is and right. on, on one side. And then, you know, the other side is fucking grind it out and there is no balance, but you know, 
to me that like the big picture is like from zero to 50, no, there's no fucking balance. Like when you're building your own business, when you're, you know, right. I'm not going to use the word empire, but just when you're, when, I you're, will. <laughs> when, when you're doing your own fucking thing and, and you're not working for somebody else, yeah. whatever that is, a business, yeah. you know, um, getting it from inception to that halfway point right. or, or around 50, whatever is a motherfucker. It is. Well, it's, it's the people that are like, man, you're lucky. You've got all your yeah. lucky. Yeah, it must you be nice. Any like, fucking idea what I put up with to yeah. get where I am right now? Go yeah. fuck yourself, well, lucky. Yeah, I mean, it's like the meme that you see is the tip of the iceberg versus, <laughs> exactly. you know, 90% of it's underwater. Right. Is that, you know, you didn't notice anything Look, until... You're a white man in America. You've got everything handed right. to yeah. you. You know, you fucking lucky prick. I forgot. I know, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I forget that all the time. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> no, but, you know, anyway, my point is, is that um, you know, once you get to that point, you know, then, then yes, you, like you can mm-hmm. balance things out and that's kind of, and then you can start making bigger decisions for you. Yeah. And, yeah. and start to enjoy stuff. My point was, is that, you know, in that first, however long that is for some people, it's a couple of years for oh. some people, it's a decade, you know, it, it's going to vary, but balance is, is kind of impossible. And, and like mm-hmm. even trying to take a vacation like i i wouldn't have enjoyed it now i can right because you'd been so worked up about, yeah, about fuck what's not happening while yeah. i'm not there watching everybody yeah like what's not being handled what if this happened you know and so yeah i mean once you get to a point where one you're just used to handling things uh, you know and you've put things and people in places to right. handle that things you can for trust. you yeah that, that you just get to a certain point where it's like okay that that's you know this entity is on its own you know like you've right. got these separate little piles if you will of, of things that are going on and they're all synergistically connected but they're independent enough to, to where they're not completely relying on one another that that you can actually get to that point and so i think for most people is that the the daunting idea of that is too much it's overwhelming yeah it's yeah. like i i don't want to fucking yeah. do that obe overcome by events well yeah. and then and then there's the other side of that is being a one-man show with the knife thing was a conscious choice yeah because I've had a number of people, yourself included, that gave me a mountain of fucking quality guidance to hire and grow. And the more I considered that, knowing most of my business dealings with all of my stuff was through small businesses as best as I can manage. Yeah, I try to do as much business with the small mom and pop as I can. Mm-hmm. All of those businesses have, you know, one to 10 employees. Every one of them has the exact same issue. Now, one guy they can depend on and a whole fleet of fucking people, they're dealing with their drama and their bullshit on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. Yeah. And I just, two two things, I didn't want to deal with that because I don't like most people to begin with. And my shop is on my brother's property. Yeah. So it kind of fenced me. I can't just willy-nilly have people running in and out of my brother's place. Yeah. That's not the right thing to do. It's not, it's his, it's not mine. Yeah. Despite the fact that I have three times the investment in the property that he has. Yeah. But that it's still his, his name's on the title. That's, that's his shit. And he allowed me to use his stuff. So that combined with not wanting to employ somebody and deal with somebody's bullshit on a day-to-day basis, employee wise led me to, I'll just be a one man show and I'll get efficient enough with what I can do to do it at my pace. And I've got no problem telling somebody no. Yeah. Well, like, and, and I don't want to do. I don't want to make a knife for you. You're a cunt. Yeah, I don't like you. Well, and I, and I, yeah. <laughs> I don't like the attitude that you just came at me with. Go yeah. fuck yourself. Yeah. No. Well, and I think you know that that whole growing thing. I mean, we've we've talked about it, but I I know where you stand, which is why I, like right. you know I'm not here to push anything. Right. Either. No. 
Uh, I'm happy to help if you want it. But, um, you know, and I think, you know, that lifestyle on the surface seems attractive to a lot of people. Yeah. When you really get down to it, it's not for most people. It's, it's not. You it's know, definitely not. And you're, and you, and that's exactly it. It's, yeah. it's, it has that romanticism of a fucking good novel yeah. appeal. But when you start looking at, like, I've been on the road for this trip. I've been on the road for just over a month. I've had, well, I took a shower at your place last night, so I've had four showers. I'm not a fucking vagabond. I'm not destitute. I carry a pump sprayer in the truck. Like, I do showers. I mean, like, I've been in a fucking place with hot water and fucking water flow. Yeah. I take fucking field showers. Military shit. You know, and it's, you know, fucking running around Iraq taking baths out of ammo cans. Yeah, no, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> but... But again, a choice. Yeah. Okay, I could go and pay to stay in a hotel, so nobody will buy a used bed, but they'll pay hundreds of dollars a night to sleep in a used bed. Well, not just used. I mean, there's a big difference between <laughs> one person using it for a few years yeah, and it's, thousands of it's, people. It's fucking. It's amazing to me yeah. what again what people are willing to accept. Yeah. Like I'm not giving you 130 dollars to sleep in a used bed tonight. I'm not doing it. Oh. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a field right over there. No one else fuck with me. I can pump my sprayer up. I can warm some water if it's really cold out. I got a I got a camp stove. I can warm some water up and put it in my pump sprayer. Yeah. I can shave and wash my vital organs and go back to work. I'm yeah. Good. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's awesome. I mean, shit in a hole in the ground and fucking yeah. I'm off yeah. and running. And yeah. it's I, I don't know. It's simple. Yeah. It is. It's super simple. Is there any thought or desire to share that with anybody? Like if you like. Like if you found a, a a woman that that was truly on board, not, hypothetically, let's say, because yeah. <laughs> I mean, like actually on board. Which let, let's be honest, like most of them wouldn't be, but right, right. But provided you found one that, like, would you want to share that with someone? Uh, in small in small portions, I uh, being on the road, being by myself a lot, I've had this question a lot. Aren't you lonely? I'm like, no, I'm alone. I'm never lonely. Like, I'm the best company in the world, and I've got a dog with me 99% of the time. So, no, I'm never lonely. I'm alone a lot, and I, I like it. There's no, you know, that relationship, give and take. I know that it, I know that it exists. I, I know people that have beautiful give and take relationships. I don't know that I'm wired for that. Yeah. I really don't. Like, I, Right circumstances, I may just be able to push that right in my face and go, oh, yeah, I was fucking wrong. But I have yet to meet somebody that I was willing, that I'd be willing to share the way I live with at that level because I just don't think that that exists. Yeah. And, and it might. I mean, there, I know there's a ton of people, the van life people and the social media, but the vast majority of those are doing that for likes and for attention. Yeah. So they're not, I do it because I want to, and you don't hear from me much about it. Mm -hmm they're doing it because they want a following and they want somebody to applaud the way the choices they've made. You know, it's, yeah. it's not unlike the green fucking life people or the vegan that can't shut the fuck up or what, whatever it is. Okay. You do you, yeah. why, why do, why does somebody have to applaud every single thing that you do? Yeah, well, I think, you know, that that's an element to it, but I honestly think for, for most of the folks that do that, it, it's about, uh, it's the it's the monetary right. backing. Yeah, there is, is the, there is that as yeah, well. I mean, you put Trying it on to find YouTube a way to monetize and, yeah. it so that they can do it and afford yeah. to do it. Yeah, because I mean, if you 
you know, create enjoyable, entertaining content, put it on YouTube right. and Instagram. Like you can, I mean, some of those people are probably making hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of dollars a year that, that fuels that. And well, and I'm fortunate that I have some disability money and I, and I make enough money with knives. I don't need a lot of money, yeah. but I do make some money. Fortunate. I mean, I gave up the best healthiest years of my life to have a little bit of money right now. Yeah. And that only lasts as long as the government continues to function, which every fucking year this time is a big mystery. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> But they never stop getting paid, but yours and mine might go away. How convenient. So because I don't have that monetary, I'm not supporting another thing because a lot of people that are doing the van life thing also have a house somewhere that they're paying for. Mm -hmm. So from a a road trip standpoint, are there, again, kind of the expectation versus reality? What is your take on the country? Like... You know, di- different parts of it being different culturally. Uh, it's all the same. It just depends. You know, like what what's your takeaways from uh, from our society? Studies say that sixty five percent of America is obese. I would suggest it's better than ninety. Oh, you're not talking about. Oh, you're not talking Everything. about that already. Anything. <laughs> so, uh, just your your observations from spending the amount, like the amount of time you spend on the road, gives you a very unique perspective that nobody. Ha- I mean, almost nobody. Right. Has. Well, and I talk to people regularly about how many states have you been in. Like, yeah. my goal is all fifty, and I've got Alaska left to tick off now. Yeah. Um. It's not, it's not common. I don't meet very many people. I bet I've met, in 15 years, I bet I've met maybe 10 people that have seen all 50 states. Yeah. And I mean seen like not just flown through, but actually driven through and done something in. And I've now camped, played golf, and fucked off in 49 of 50. Yeah. And uh, I think they're all the same in one regard, and, and I think this is true globally as well. Most people want to take care of themselves, their families, and their friends, and be left the fuck alone by their governments. That's true all over the world. Well, fuck, we traveled a fuck ton of foreign countries. Yeah, that's true everywhere. But every state has a, a unique, I don't know, feel, vibe. It's interesting that it's, you know, it's the United States, but there's a lot of differences. And there's really big differences between east of Mississippi, west of Mississippi. And then those, the states on either side of that, there's unique differences per but there's, there's cool shit, and fuck, there's almost every climate in every state. Even states that have virtually no elevation have, you know, mountainous regions. Their mountains may be 12 or 1,500 or, you know, 3,000 feet versus 14. 10, 15,000 feet. But there's still mountains for that area, and they still have those climates, you know. Coniferous forests, the, the, the whole nine yards. So it's cool. The, uh, the East Coast, I find, I find the East Coast forest to be almost claustrophobic to me because they're so dense, dark, and quiet. Uh, whereas on the West Coast, if you go into the mountains, you can almost always find a spot where you can see forever. I just spent three and a half weeks in Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, and I could never see more than a mile mm-hmm. anywhere. It's weird. I finally got down into the plains coming across Ohio into Kentucky. I'm like, holy shit, I can see more than three miles. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, well, yeah, as, as of uh, this summer, I've been to all 50 states. Have you? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yep. Fuck you. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Beat you to it. Nice. Yeah. Well played. Yeah, yeah, Alaska's my last. That's uh, yeah. When the bus is done, I'm going to drive up the, uh, the Yukon Highway. Yeah. I met a, I met a Mountie in, uh, in Missouri on my way to the East Coast this trip. Retired uh, Canadian Mountie. He's like, you should come through Alberta. Come through my place. I'll, I'll give you a local, and then you can go up the Yukon Highway from there. It's perfect. Oh shit! Like really? Yeah, he was living with his wife in a 
fucking RV. That's awesome. Um, is, I guess from like, again, kind of going back to the, all the different places, um, what, what are some of the biggest differences that you see state to state or coast to coast or um, kind of where, where people miss the mark or, or get it wrong? How do you mean? Like, like, like their, their perception. Oh, of, what, what somebody thinks a place is versus what it actually yeah. is. I don't know that there's a ton of miss. It's, uh, I was a kid. My, my cousin lived in uh, Jersey and he brought a girlfriend home from Jersey to New Mexico. And she got off of the plane in Albuquerque expecting to see teepees and wagons and you're a high school graduate, right? Well, I just thought the West was... Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. This was in the, I don't know, mid-80s. Yeah. But damn. Yeah. I mean, I guess from from you traveling around, I mean, maybe not even so much what people would, would think versus what it is, but just, you know, culturally, I guess, do you see... Where do you see the biggest differences? I think the uh, the biggest differences are not so much state to state; they're rural versus uh, versus uh, urban. Urban, yeah. The urban centers in pretty much every state have the same impatient. Everything has to be right now. Nobody's got any time for anything. Driven human drive. And the more rural you get, the more relaxed everybody seems to become, particularly the locals. Um, food is good most places. I, I had an uncle when I was a kid gave me this advice because I travel with him a hunt and shit. And he's like, uh, like, how do you decide where to eat in a place you've never been? He says, well, you wait until mealtime. You see where all the local vehicles are parked. If the local vehicles are there, the food's good there because they don't go to places that don't treat them well. Mm, that's served me really well. But knowing that and knowing that you're going to get good food, that good food has a different flair in every state. Like Kentucky, I don't care for the food there at all. It's all just greasy. It's not that it's bad. It's just prepared different. I spent three days in Kentucky. I wasn't happy. Like fried fucking. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't get anything just grilled. I couldn't get anything. Like I just want a steak and I get a steak that had been slopped and like, what the fuck? Like, don't do that. Stop putting gravy on everything. It doesn't need it. Yeah. Make it right. And it doesn't need gravy. Yeah. But I, I think, uh, yeah, probably the pace yeah. is the biggest difference, but it's more city to country than it is state to state. And is it safe to say that politically that's the case too, or the politics, uh, urban versus rural? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and well, and I think that's the biggest reason why whoever it was, and I don't, I, I should probably know this, but I don't. The uh, the electoral college was put together f to be representative of the country, yeah. as opposed to just the you know the seven metropolitan areas that have the population to carry the vote every four years. If if they didn't have it, mm -hmm. um, I think that system could be better if a state didn't divide on party lines and they divided by actual math by the map. You know, say California, I think California has, I think it's like 40, 44 electoral college votes, some shit like that. The state, I think it's over a hundred. It's a lot, whatever yeah. the fuck it is. It's big. Zach, can you look that up real quick? Yeah, please. Cause I should know, but I don't, but we, it's, we should, we should know it's big. So California has this huge electoral college vote. 
but when they do the when they do the voting, there's a lot of California that votes super red. Because yeah. they're farmers and producers. They're the people that feed the fucking morons that don't know where their food comes from. Mm-hmm. But when the state is tabulated, they just give all the votes to either red or blue. Yeah. That's not how that system was designed to be used. If it was used properly, the, the counties that did blue would get blue and the counties that got red would get red and you'd get a better, you'd get a better use of that electoral college system. Mm-hmm. But again, I think there's a ton of that type of stuff in politics that doesn't get used the way it was intended because it gets manipulated for the people in power to maintain power, yeah. which is too bad. Yeah. How many? California, 55. 55. Okay, split so I was the, close. The, you were closer. I was closer. Me, I was closer without overbidding. Yeah. I, get, I, get, I, get the, I get the dryer, Bob. A, <laughs> <laughs> a new car. Um, any, uh, any other lessons that, that you take away from that amount of time of being on the road that but again, just kind of uh, from a different perspective than, than most people would have. I, I, I touched on it before, and I'll say it again because I think it's that important. Uh, being comfortable with yourself. Yeah. I, I think one of the reasons why you and I are friends, I mean, among the many, is that neither one of us is hung up on, I haven't talked to you in a month or two months or seven months or whatever the fuck. There's so many people that put so much emotion behind consistent hey you didn't call me how come you don't call me how come we haven't talked and they're bitter about it and then they make the whole relationship bitter because of that because they're not comfortable in their own skin they're not comfortable enough to just be okay with hey i haven't talked in a while what's going on this is what i got going on oh cool fucking great see you when i see you yeah and i don't think there's enough people that have that and i think it stems from that indoctrinized everybody's the same structural mentality from the department of education. Yeah. Yeah. We're all the same. The fuck we are. I am not equal to another fucking soul on the planet. Yeah. I'm similar to some in some ways, but I'm not equal to anybody. Yeah. Do you have a, uh, a least favorite place and a favorite place that you've been? I have two least favorites and they're both because of traffic and population. And that's the LA basin and New York city. And favorites, uh, Northwest Montana. Just there's something about that area of the country that just fucking sings to me. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a lake up there called Lake Kukanusa. It's I don't know some eighty miles long. It runs from it's a real narrow ravine. It was dammed off on the American side. I think there's about forty miles of lake on either side, but it's not. I don't think it's more than a mile wide anywhere. But it's really a deep ravine. They just dammed off a ravine. And that lake, there's places up there there's not a signal for 10 miles in any direction. And I have I actually got caught in a bad rainstorm up there one year. And I was fucking with my computer in the back of the truck and fell asleep and killed my batteries. And I was stuck there for 15 days. Oh, shit. Because my truck wouldn't start any heavy batteries. Oh, wow. It was a two-mile hike to the highway from where I was. But I was on the lake. And I had, had a trot line set, so I was feeding the dog with a trot line fish. <laughs> And I had all the food I needed, so I just fucking... What were you eating? Uh, I had, I had uh, an ice chest full of food, and I had fish. Oh, okay. So I wake up one morning. I'm 15 days in. So Border Patrol agent sent back in my truck. Little short Mexican guy with this truck out of my head. Like, what the fuck are you doing here? He goes, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, my truck's... My batteries are dead. I can't go anywhere. But what are you doing here? He goes, Border Patrol. I'm like... Right, we're in America. <laughs> so I'm like 38 miles from the Canadian border. He's like, we, we guard the other one too. 
I'm like, yeah, but you're from Texas, aren't you? He goes, yeah, I'm actually from San Antonio. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing up here? So long conversation, and he gives me a jump start and gets me. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking great. Weather cleared. I'm fucking camping, swimming, hanging out, hiking. Yeah. No drama whatsoever. He's like, do you, do you want a jump start? I'm like, yeah, since you're here. Yeah. But he was just baffled that I wasn't, <laughs> oh, my God, thank you for saving my life. I didn't need yeah. any saving. I didn't need yeah. anything. I had everything I needed. That's fucking wild, man. <laughs> Uh, any other fucking shit like that happen? Like you got to have some fucking wild stories. I, I get random shit like that periodically. Every now and then I get a, a weird, like, um, set, uh, deliverance vibe mm-hmm. in an area. Like I'll drive through a local area and I'll be like, I'm not camping anywhere near here tonight. <laughs> Spidey sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there was a, there's a, an analogy that came out of one of my philosophy classes in, in college is, uh, it's a graveyard shift nurse. She works graveyard for like 13 years. She works graveyard. She gets off at 3 a.m. She walks out to her car, gets in her car, goes home. She's done this for 13 years. One night she's changing her clothes and she thinks, I should get somebody to walk me out. And she doesn't. Two weeks later, they find her dead in a ditch. It's an analogy to suggest that maybe we're getting too far from instinct. You know, I, I trust my instincts. If I get a weird vibe about something, I fucking listen to that shit gut feeling sixth sense whatever you want to call it i pay attention to that shit so yeah. yeah if i if i'm if i'm uncomfortable i i make changes to make myself more comfortable but yeah by and large now i've had a number of issues like you know breakdowns or in the middle of nowhere and somebody will show up like hey i'm fucked can you help me like, well, i don't know what do you need yeah <laughs> maybe i can help maybe. Maybe I don't want to help. I don't know. Maybe I do. What's 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 in it for me? <laughs> um, I know you've had. I mean, I don't know how many fucking. Uh, I guess examples or or instances where you're in a, like a Walmart parking lot and a cop shows up. You can't fucking sleep here. Like I don't know how many fucking times that's happened, but uh, way more than fucking should. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh. It's it's infuriating. It's the same with like national parks and state parks. Uh, I'm I'm back to the bitterness of the system and how the system is mismanaged. I pay a fuel tax everywhere I buy fuel. Fuel tax is supposed to be to do road maintenance, but the roads aren't maintained. And then I go to a state park or a, or, or a national park and they want money from my pocket, despite the fact that I've already paid taxes on all of my money and they're funded by the government. It's, uh, it's, it's a real sticking point for me, that, uh, that sense of civic authority that comes from nothing more than wanting to harass somebody. I mean, if I'm fucking your shit up, pull the plug on me. And I think that should be done anywhere where these little, fuck California's a huge cesspool of that, where they're just walking all over and, and local administrations won't do anything about it. That should be fixed. But if I'm sleeping in my vehicle in a parking lot that's public, oh, why do you want to fuck with me? Well, shit, that happened uh, up in Paris when, when we were still getting you settled at the, at the dog ranch. Fucking cop, I'm in, a, I'm in a local neighborhood on the curb parked right where all the other cars are. Yeah. Older cop with a kid with him, recruit, teaching him how to handle people. Like, dude, why, why, are, why are you acting like this? You know you're teaching that kid bad habits, right? Yeah. Well, it is, I mean, it's interesting, you know, hearing you speak to that and thinking about it in that regard and that, like, there's so many things that it's just like, oh, just fucking let it happen. No, there's nothing we can do about it. 
right. you know, fucking smash and grab at jewelry stores, uh-huh. fucking homeless encampments. You know, it's like, no, you can't fucking, you can't fuck with them. It strikes me the people that they go after is the ones they think can pay. Yeah. That's what it strikes me as. My, a buddy of mine in Albuquerque, we have the same conversation. You see this fucking without question meth whatever the fuck addict driving a vehicle with a caved in windshield no fucking turn signals that that fucking human will never get pulled over by the cops because there's no revenue stream there but if i fail to signal to change lanes i get pulled over and get a ticket because i look like i've got some money and i can pay yeah what the fuck is that all about well mount washington in new hampshire i wanted to drive up mount washington highest point new hampshire fucking cool i'm gonna drive up top of mount washington Happens to be 300 feet lower than where my brother's place is, which is not, you know, again, yeah. mountains, old mountains versus new mountains. Uh, it's like 6,200 feet. So I want to drive up this mountain. It's a state and nationally funded park. They want $45 of my money to drive up that paved road. For what? Nope. That shit frustrates the hell out of me. Yeah. That's, that's probably my biggest frustration traveling is, uh, and I've got the parks pass, you know, the veterans parks pass. So like national parks, I can access, like I can go into Yellowstone without paying a gate fee, yeah. but I can't camp in Yellowstone. Although I have, yeah. <laughs> I got, I got hemmed up by a, by a ranger last fall on my last falls road trip. I was, I was driving across to come down through Colorado back to New Mexico. And I drove into the, I drove into the park thinking I'm going to find a remote spot. There's no remote because it's a national park, and I think it's the oldest national park in America. I think it's the first national park. But you can't camp. You can't just free open land camp anywhere in the park. You have to pay. Yeah. And it's like, I think it's like 55 bucks a site. Yeah. And you have to, you have to uh, secure it. I think it's like 9 or 14 months out. It's a big long to plan out. So I'm driving by all these lake access roads, and I see one. There's no sign posted for no camping, so I drive in there and I camp. Hike down the water, fucking hang out with the dog. The next morning, I'm just finishing up my, I finished making my coffee, and putting everything in the truck. I'm getting ready to pull out. And park ranger pulls in, gets out of his truck. Like good morning, he says. Good morning, he says. Uh, he's looking at my truck. He's looking at because I'm leveled out on a hunk of wood. He says. Uh, did, did, did you camp here? Like, uh, yeah, I did. He's like, you can't do that. I'm like, yeah, well, I already did it. So that <laughs> ship has sailed. So how do you want to continue this conversation? And he, he but, but, but you're not allowed. Like, well, there's no signs. Well, there's two accesses to where I came in. The one I came in on, the sign was gone. The one he came in on, there was a sign. It's like, it's at the, I was like, when you drive out, look, there's no sign. It's like, but you're not allowed. I'm like, okay, again, I already did it. Yeah. I said, if you'd have so pulled in I, here in 10 minutes, you wouldn't even have known I was here because yeah. I'm getting ready to leave. Yeah. So how do you, well, did you, so he walks around my truck and he sees a hunk of wood. He's like, well, did you cut that? I'm like, no, you guys did see there's the pile right there. I just pulled from the pile. When I pull off of them, throw it back in the pile. Like you're never going to know I was here. So all the rules that you're trying to force on me aren't for me. They're for the assholes that can't clean up, clean up after themselves, which, again, is another pet peeve traveling. I cannot get anywhere where somebody hasn't left fucking garbage. That shit infuriates me everywhere I go because yeah. people are fucking pigs, and they don't clean up after themselves, and it's, and it's irritating. Yeah. And it, because of that, then I'm hemmed in by all these supposed laws that aren't really changing people's behavior. You catch somebody littering, fucking make them pick up trash for 12 hours. 
Sorry, you can't leave until you pick up all the trash. Well, it's not all mine. Too bad. I caught you doing it. You're picking it all up. Yeah. That teaches a lesson. You're familiar with the uh, the shopping cart rule for self-governments? Yeah. Have you heard that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's just brilliant mm-hmm. because truly there is no, there's no social repercussions from not putting your cart where it belongs in a, in a parking lot. It's simply doing the right thing for the right reason. So if you do the right thing for the right reason, no matter who's looking, you're capable of self-governance. Everybody else needs somebody to fucking hold their hand because they're idiots. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's kind of, it's an interesting analogy and I I think it's super accurate. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean, so again, kind of reflecting on uh, your time spent on the road, uh, it sounds like we we slash you have established that most people kind of want the same things, take care of their kids, be successful enough to enjoy life, be left the fuck alone. What do you think the, again, from having spent so much time in in all all different uh, parts of the country for longer than, you know, an afternoon, Mm -hmm. what do you think the biggest problem that this country has is collectively? A lack of self-awareness. An imagined view of our place in the grand scheme of things based off of what the narrative is at the time. And I, I think that's true with any topic, pick any topic, and then watch what mainstream media forces down your throat. And if you do virtually the exact opposite, you're probably doing better than most people, in my opinion. For example? Um, park rules. I, I don't need them because I don't leave shit behind, and I clean up where I camp. Even if it's not mine, I carry it out and I throw it somewhere in the trash. Um. Look at uh, fuck anything geopolitical. The, the the view of why we're involved in something versus the real reason why we're involved in something. The real reason is always money and political clout. It's never the naive why I went in the military, you know, country and patriotism and doing the right it, because. As a, as a military member, we're really not doing anything other than forwarding a geopolitical, financial move by our government. Every conflict that we've been involved in, it was shit even post-World War II, absolutely. Everything we've been involved in post-World War II has had that exact flavor to it. What does it do for us geopolitically and from a, monet- from a money-making standpoint for the big players? Not for the average American, but for the big players. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, I would throw one exception, and I think post-9-11 for a short time. Yes. That I would disagree, mm-hmm. but, that, Un- but only for a short but time. It, it was such a flag. You know, we won't forget. You know, yeah. Fucking y'all forgot. Yeah, quick, too. Yeah, real fucking fast. Yeah. Because, it was un- because, again, it was inconvenient. Yeah. And, and choices. You know, what are you willing to... Because... Uh, <laughs> Ross Perot, when he ran for president in 96? No, it's 96. It was when I was in college. Well, it would have been 94 then, right? Or no, yeah, 96. Yeah, it would have been, yeah, I think it was 96. He said on national television the thing that nobody wanted to hear, and I thought it was fucking brilliant. He's like, look, it's a big business, and it's fucking broken. Speaking of the government, he said it didn't get broke overnight, and it can't be fixed overnight, but it can be fixed but it requires everybody to participate. And that made most of America very uncomfortable because that means you're going to have to Make pull back a little choices. bit. You're not, they're not even tough. They're, well, did you, can I have seven phones or just three? 
I mean, based off of today's money, money, that's the, you know, how much social media access can I have? How much internet access can I have? It's a, it's a strange motivator, but it's a, it's an immediacy thing. We've talked about it, you know, what is the dopamine cycle and the way people are stimulated and rewarded and what that requires and how they behave because of it. Yeah. There's a, there's a comedian, I think it's Kyle Kinane. He does a bit about my kids don't have TV. And, you know, the crowd, boo, he's like, yeah, 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 you know, go, go fuck yourselves. And then he says, he says, uh, he says uh, I'll tell you what, here's a test for you to see how good TV is for your kids. He says, your TV, when your kids are watching TV, just take the remote from behind them where they can't see and just turn the TV off and see what the reaction is. It's always, ah, ah, ah. like, do you think that's healthy? Do you really think you're doing your kids a service? Yeah. By doing that? Yeah. But it is, it's an inner, you know, it's George Carlin take yeah. on life. That's the same thing with phone, like smartphones mm-hmm. and teenagers at this point. Same thing. I, mean, it's I can't get my kids off their phone. Yeah. Who the fuck got them the phone? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the, 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 the tough part with that is, is society is right. that, I, mean, I can tell you from experience, like you take your kids phones or, or don't let them have them. And guess what? Like, unless you're homeschooling them yep. or at like a super small private charter school where there's a lot of regulation and they're all believe the same thing yeah. that you believe. Like yeah. if, if they're going to a big four, a five, a public school, like it matter what you do at home. Yeah, but Cause doesn't. you have the least amount of yeah. influence on them, especially at that point. Like yeah. you have almost none. Yeah, and, it, and it is, it's too bad. Yeah. Because you know, they're, they're going to, their friends will let them on theirs. They'll be on their school computers. They'll fucking hijack around. There's some friends, Rich dad will yeah. buy them a phone and they'll keep yeah. it a secret in their locker yeah. or at school. Yeah. They'll get a burner from fucking Walmart. <laughs> I mean, cause at this point, like you can get, a smartphone for 12 bucks, you know, yeah. some shitty, yep. yeah, yeah, you know, your LG, you're, you're, you know, whatever. Damned but, if you do, damned yeah. if you don't. And so yeah. you have to find a place to, I, I think my mom had a really good balance. I think your parents had a good balance too. Like, I don't need you to be my friend until you're an adult. When, you, when you're an adult, we can be friends. But yeah. until then, I'm your fucking parent. Yeah. And you're going to do what you're going to do. You're going to do what my rules are. And I'm going to yeah. lead by example, as opposed to running my fucking mouth yeah. and saying one thing and doing another. And I think there are a lot of parents that are very guilty of that as well. Yeah, no, agreed. And, and it is tough. Um, I will say, you know, to me, the the smartest play with that is to, you know, kind of similar to, you know, the, the way that dog training takes place mm-hmm. is that it's action and, and reaction and consequence, yeah. you know, see the reward, you know, like, so if you're getting good grades, yeah. I'm not getting calls about yeah. you, you know, there's no problems at school. Like yeah. I'm going to stay out of your shit. Here's the rules. Do you understand the rules? Okay. Yeah. Then fucking super simple. Yeah. Like if, and if, held to a standard yeah, like, again, like if, yep. you know, your room's the way it needs to be, you're not yep. fucking trying to come home at two in the morning. Like, yep. If you're towing the line, I'm staying out of your business. Like I won't get in your shit unless I need to. And if I need to, then, then we'll cross that bridge. Yep. But that's of course easier said than done. I mean, being a parent is fucking tough, it is, especially no nowadays it. it is yep. incredibly fucking difficult. And, and then you've got people from the, from the top down that are saying, you know, the state's better capable of raising your yeah. kids than you are that fucking mentality. And it does yeah. it, it tra- Well, it's the good Samaritan act. Like they had to write a law for people to help other people when people need help yeah. because of people getting help and then suing to try and get money. Yeah, it's crazy. That's fucking craziness. Yeah, yep. Uh, anything else to add to the convo from uh, uh, from your time on, on this planet, the, the short 53 years that it is? I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. What should, okay. what should I be when I grow up? I think you, you found your spot. I don't think I want to grow up anymore. Being an adult's shit. I know a lot of adults and they're boring as fuck. I think, I think you found boring your, and miserable. your niche. I think, I think you're there. <laughs> it's niche. <laughs> I, I don't think it is. I don't know what that is. Zach, survey says <laughs> niche or niche? Niche.
All right. Well, yeah. yeah Sucks I mean, to be wrong. Yeah, man. yeah. I'm not signing his paycheck. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Uh, of Christ. Oh, shit. Uh, so where where can uh, the listener find you? Um, Especially if, the, and, I, and I will say, guys, uh, for everybody listening, um, you know, I, I've shown knives uh, that he's made on on multiple occasions on the on the show. We had him and Clint on a couple of years ago that showcased the uh, the Glenn Doherty knife that had some of his ashes and uniform uh, built into the handle. Yeah. He's made, and, and we'll on the YouTube side, we'll show some of his custom pieces right now. Uh, that he's made one in particular. The, the latest one was the parrot, yeah, parrot yeah. feather, uh, yeah, commemorative for uh, for a family that had a parrot that died, yeah. and uh, it was really it was really dear to the son. So I uh, did uh, parrot feathers, the the parrot's feathers uh, inlaid into the handle and yeah. the uh, mounting block for the knife. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll show pictures of that too. But any custom pieces like that, I mean, you can do. You know, take the the wood from a, a barn door that on a property that you grew up with, and yeah. make the handle out of that that type of stuff. Or ashes from loved ones, pets, etc. Uh, even you know, teeth from from pets. Right. You uh, name. It. I've done hair. Oh no shit. Yeah, I've uh, I've forged ashes into uh, into a forged smelt. Oh, so man. my own it, it, pet peeve in the knife world, uh, Damascus. Yeah. Doesn't exist. Yeah. I'm gonna piss off a lot of custom knife makers right now, but whatever. Um, I'm I'm not near the pinnacle of the knife making game. I'm good at what I do, and I make a quality blade that will perform admirably for generations if it's taken care of. Now that said, the the Damascus world forged welded steel for, pattern welded steel is what it is now. Damascus steel came out of a specific volcanic ore in Syria in I don't know like 900 AD. And it met a requirement of the time. It would it had hardness and toughness, whereas the steels of the time, the iron ores of the time, didn't have both of those things by and large. What you're buying now with Damascus is pattern wear, pattern welded tool steel, and they're beautiful. I, I take nothing from the guys that do it. I, I've tried it. I can't see. My brain doesn't wrap around the 3D packaging of folding steel to get a specific pattern. And there is some beautiful shit out there, but it's pattern welded steel from two quality current modern tool steels. Yeah. So it's not Damascus. It's it's a it's a misnomer. But I don't do a lot of that because I think it's a misnomer and I don't it's very time intensive and it's worth the money, but you're buying art, you're not buying yeah, you're not buying performance at yeah. that point. It's it's artistic. The performance is in either steel, they pattern weld them together and then you're buying art. Yeah. Um but I, I really enjoy doing commemorative pieces because they mean something to the customer, which makes them mean something to me. Yeah. And it started with doing ashes for Bub. Yeah. Because Glenn's, Glenn was such a, an impactful person on so many people's lives. When it was, I, I, fuck, I was fucking just kicking off getting good at making knives. I, I mean, that was one of my first pieces with acrylic and it came out so, so nice to me. I, I, I feel really, really involved in that piece because it was somebody I knew. Yeah. And if I can give that to somebody else, I'm always willing to incorporate that. No, agreed. I mean, you've made me a ton of fucking knives over the years. I made some shit for you that I never even thought about making. You're like, yeah. hey, can you, can you do this? I'm like, yeah. oh, fucking give me a picture of something, what you're yeah. looking at. Let me play yeah. around with it. No, but I mean, those are knives that, that I'll cherish and, and pass on to the kids and, right. you know, it'll stay in, in the family for, for generations. So yeah. 
I think it's I think it's awesome. Um, and we'll include links uh, to Shane's site and and where you can find him and all that. Uh, anything else you want to throw in there before we wrap up? Everybody should stop eating processed shit and get healthier. That's it. Well, I mean that's a big statement. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big statement. <laughs> I mean everybody should do that. Oh, I agree. But, <laughs> uh, even, even though we've known each other forever, I still have a uh, a parting gift for you. Not that uh, of course, not that do. it's a huge surprise, but of, of course you do. Everybody on the show that's uh, been on mic drop gets. Uh, do you have your own coin now? I didn't know you yeah. had that. Oh, this shit, is, I can't see that. Oh, holy Christ! You shut up! I'm gonna put on my <laughs> racquetball glasses for safety. You got a big game coming up, buddy. I can't see. Fuck you. <laughs> That's cool when you start doing these. So John Johnston and uh, Champion Choice Silver out in California, big supporter of the show. Oh, yeah. Had these made as well as that what's in that black box. fucking awesome. That's a really nice coin. Yeah. I noticed your uh, your coin rack here. You need, a, need another coin rack before too long. Yeah, yeah. so uh, actually Veteran this. Wood Company is making me a new a new one as we speak uh, that will be a lot bigger and be able to accommodate uh, more coins because, yes, it's almost full. But Yeah. And then uh, what's in the box? What's in the box? Ah, oh, sweet. Yeah. The buckles. Yeah, I know the buckles. So again. This is the same guy that did my buckle. Yeah. 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 So uh, if you want to show that to the camera oh, real yeah. quick. Yeah. The mic drop buckle. So uh, throw that on your uh, on your pants when you sport yeah, the shit I'm, kickers. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wear that. I wear a regular buckle. That's uh, that's too cowboy for me. I'm well, not I'm not a cowboy. Maybe you should uh, fashion it as a hood ornament for the rig. Now that would be cool. We'll, we'll get some pictures. Maybe I'll fashion it into something so it'll be protected and put it on the bus. That would be awesome. Yeah, I'll put that on the bus. For those of you listening, Shane has been a, an enormous part of my life for uh, well over two decades, two and a half decades. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I really uh, can very honestly say that I, I owe a lot to you. Uh, you know, from having grown up kind of in the SEAL teams as an 18, 19 year old meeting you and, and becoming, you know, really close friends with you and, and a very small group of other guys, you've, uh, been a huge influence in my life, uh, for a lot of it, you know, uh, well, I appreciate our friendship and, uh, and, and that goes both ways. Like I said, I, I wasn't joking earlier when I asked, you know, who's influenced who more, I think early on I was more influencer, but as we've moved out of the military, you've done infinitely more than most people sh- are even capable of. And it's, uh, it, I, 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 I love watching you do shit and do it well. I appreciate I, it. I do. And, and your, your dog work is next level. I, I don't, I, I, I know how it works, but I don't have the patience to make it work that way. I'm yeah. such a shitty dog owner in that particular regard. Well, there's still hope. Yeah, well, still I, got time. I, I recognize yeah. that as a failing yeah. of mine. That doesn't mean I'm going to fix it, but I recognize it. The man's got a nose limitation. That's right. right. Yeah. That's a fact. But I, I, uh, I appreciate you coming. I appreciate no, our friendship. Yeah, uh, I appreciate absolutely. everything you've, you've ever done for me and my family. So. Another, uh, another 50 years wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be on towards at all for me. That's right. As long as neither one of us are senile and if that yeah. happens one of us needs to push the other one off of something really tall really quickly i could not agree more so done you have my word i'll throw you right off a fucking bridge. Truck. <laughs> all right uh to the listener i hope you've enjoyed it uh it's been fun to, to be able to interview shane the way that i do most guests uh a, a little tricky with uh, what i already know about him but i hope you you gathered um, the, the character and, and what I love so much about him and why you know he's one of the closest friends I've ever had. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, fucking choke yourself. And until next time, this is Mike Drop.
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.